0: That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. Eighteen plus. <laughs>
1: Heh heh heh.
0: Show that never ends and will not die, no matter how hard you try. Force perspective. This is episode 69, the 2015 year in review, also known as Oscar Mania 2016. I am your host, Force Guy 515, and on this episode, we will give our thoughts on the past year in film as we look ahead to the Academy Awards, exactly one month away. But before all that, allow me to introduce my co-host first. My normal force respective co host, the now second man in history known to have survived a bear mauling, ladies and gentlemen, Adolfo. Yeah, and I didn't get raped by it either, so that was nice. Uh, I mean, I guess the bear didn't find you attractive <laughs> enough, you know? I, don't I know guess what that not.
1: that I was pretty ugly. <laughs> um, just remember, folks, that if at any point during uh, this this podcast you get confused, we're, we have Margot Roby in a bathtub, on standby, to explain things to
0: you. Well, it's so funny you mentioned that, though, because our next co-host, last but certainly not least, he is the only man on Earth that I would ever want to see explaining subprime mortgages in a bathtub. Ladies and gentlemen, okay. Brandon Draven. I can't wait to talk about my favorite film of the year, The Fantastic Four. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> now,
2: now, is this, is this, this uh, a quasi return uh, force perspective? Is this a remake or a re-imaging? What is it?
1: This is a a reimagining.
2: There you go. Okay.
0: (laughs) There you go. (laughs) All right, guys. Um. So let's kind of get get the ball rolling on this year. So 2015. I mean, we like to do our year in review uh, shows on this uh, on this show um, closer to the Oscars because that way, you know, you kind of get a feel for like what the award contenders are going to be, and then once you see a lot of them, especially for me, they start making you know my top ten, top five lists. So, um, this is around the perfect time. To do this anyway. So um, what we have planned for you guys is we're going to normally do top 10 this year. We're going to do top five. We'll give honorable mentions. And then if there's time, we'll even give our worst of the year. But maybe just overall to get us started. um, What did you guys think of 2015? Do you think it was a strong movie year or maybe lesser than other years? Uh, I, I think it was pretty strong,
1: especially for uh, genre movies. There's a lot of great, good genre movies uh, that came out this year. And there was three movies, which I'm sure we'll talk about uh, in, in particular later on, um, that were uh, callbacks to er- like earlier franchises that I think over-delivered on, on what people expected them to deliver um so i and i enjoyed all of those um i like like i said there's a there's a lot of good genre stuff um and i i think that overall it was a pretty decent year um i think some of the ones that were more hyped be like the the big oscar contenders or so i think i was a little disappointed by and i i think some of my picks are a little more out of the box there's some conventional ones in there but uh for the most part i'm i'm pretty pretty happy with it
2: uh yeah i think uh we're in, a, we're in a, at least my generation, which I also I guess would be Adolfo's generation, you know, the, the, the 80s kids, we're in this generation where, where the kids our age are, are growing up, and they're getting a little bit of clout in Hollywood, and they're starting to make their own movies now, and what well, you're starting to see, you're starting to see a lot of throwbacks, nostalgia for, for, for films of the 80s, 70s, you know, the kind of films that we grew up with. And so that's make, that made it for a very interesting year in genre pictures, like Adolfo said. So um, I was a little worried there in the beginning, but it, it really picked up in the second half of the year.
1: You know, I, I did say, I did think that, like, um, you know, 1982 is always talked about as, like, a great year for genre movies. Because, you know, it had Blade Runner, it had Star Trek II, it had <clears throat> The Barbarian, it had E.T., uh, I think there's another one that I'm missing right now, but it was like this. All these really good genre movies came out that year. And um, the thing, one of my favorites. Oh, and the thing—that's the other one i made. Yeah. I was, that was the other one I was forgetting. Um, and and I think this year is is a pretty good contender. There was a lot of good horror and a lot of good sci-fi this year, I think.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. This I thought this was a very strong year as well. There was a lot. It was actually kind of tough for me because when I was writing down movies that i would put in my top 10 actually came out with 14 so of course it was four that i had to knock out but i mean it kind of just plays to the strength of like the genre films and even the dramas that have been starting to come out now at the end of the year that are now contenders for oscars you know i think there was a nice balance of each genre to for moviegoers to be able to enjoy
2: right and i also think the uh kind of like, I guess you could say the advancement of like video on demand and, you know, because remember back in the day when I was growing up, like straight to video was you, that was the bottom of the barrel, you know, you were laughing stock. And we've seen over the years, especially over the last, I would say five or six years with digital media, a lot of these films just skip the theater altogether because it's, you know, you have more of a profit if you, if you just put, go straight to video on demand, especially these like $2 million to $5 million movies. Um, so those, those kind of films are actually getting better production, better actors, uh, a lot of these actors now, what they're doing is they're getting a producer credit, so that you know they, they they do these smaller pictures, and so you're seeing the quality go up. So in turn, you're seeing you know better movies, and not necessarily on in the theater. Actually, yeah. actually, actually, a couple, of my, uh, uh, I, two of my top five didn't even go to the theater. So I'll, oh, I'll leave
0: that a, that'll be interesting to hear about. I'll,
2: I'll
0: leave that as a teaser. All right. <laughs> so I mean, I so guess. Like, we can- At all,
1: like, they were straight, like, they didn't have any theatrical run at all? No, no. no, Wow.
0: I didn't know that. That's going to be interesting. And I just, I I fell in
2: love with those films when I saw them, but uh, we'll talk about them in a little while.
0: I mean, we can get the ball rolling now, actually. So, I mean, for those who have first time listening to this, so basically how it works is um, we give Mm -hmm. our honorable mentions first, and then we'll, let's let's say we're at number five. We'll each give our number five pick, and then we'll go to number four, number three, and and so on. And then we can, if there's time, we'll go over our, what I, we think are worst of the year. But um, I guess I can start for you guys. Um, my honorable mentions this year, now, I had a long list of about 40 films that I saw in theaters this year. <laughs> I mean, no. compared to, like, your 365 list. Oh, well, let, me, let me
2: say that. Okay, let me say that. So I, I think me and had this conversation on Facebook a while back. So, last year, uh, I had made it a, something of a, of a mission, right? Because I had never done this before. Um, uh, I wanted to see 365 films in a year. I just, you know, one, it would average out to one per day. And uh, so I, I started keeping a list. I didn't go on... I have a letterbox account, but I never keep it up because I'm too lazy. So I just started writing it down on a notebook. Because a lot of times I'll watch these great films that, that they get no press and they're, n- they're not theatricals. And I watch so many films in a year. I mean, I'm probably averaging about 150 to 200 films for over the last 10 years. And I, and I, I try to think of the goddamn title of the movie. Like, I just loved it, but I can't find it because I don't remember the fucking name. So... Uh, this guy decided to keep a notebook with a little with little comments or whatever, and and uh, I ended up watching 360 exactly 365 awesome. films. Now the last film that I saw because on New Year's Eve I was scrambling, I, I was down to like like 362, and I wanted to cheat because I forgot I, I forgot I had watched uh, the prequel trilogy to Star Wars and I didn't throw it in there just because I thought that's kind of cheating on because I had seen those recently, but 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 I said you know what before I go out and I party I'm gonna watch three movies. And the last one I watched was a movie that was a tradition for me for years during New Year's Eve, and I hadn't seen it in about five years, and that was 200 Cigarettes. That's the last, that was movie number 365 on New Year's Eve, and I, I finally made it, and I was very happy. Nice. So, so, um,
1: so the 365 movies, but they weren't all 2015 movies, it sounds like.
2: No, no, no. Okay, so here was my rule. If they were revisits it's a movie that I hadn't watched in the last two years. In other words if, if, if I saw a movie from last year that I had already seen last year then uh, I wasn't gonna put it on the list but if I if it was a movie that I hadn't seen in like more than two years I was gonna put it on the list because really uh, you know you, it's pretty much you're getting the story again. Um, and also I did cheat a little bit because I threw on television shows only because they take so much time, you know, I like for example, yes. I threw on Jessica Jones, I threw on uh, daredevil those, uh, you know, and I just put a little parenthesis TV or whatever, you know, because I figured if I'm watching it and you know, essentially television is kind of mimicking the, the film thing now with their story time. So it's like I fuck it. I'm going to throw it in as one of the movie watch, you know, even though it's 13 episodes. So I did that, but,
1: uh, yeah, so
0: it, it was a challenge, but I did it. Nice. I mean, I can't wait to hear about the picks. Yeah, you, you put on your list. Yeah, also.
1: I, I, I tried to do that too, and I used to be able to do that a lot more whenever I w- didn't have a daughter. Well, <laughs> um, exactly. I'm like but, I don't
2: have no kids,
1: so so I I I I, aver- I do have a Letterboxd account, and I I uh, I averaged out at about I think 150 or so. That's still um, very good. Nobody that, does that. That that includes that includes 2015 movies and like revisits like older movies and stuff like. That I had seen for the first time, but were older movies like through Netflix or something. So yeah, same thing. Uh,
2: as long as it was the first time watch, uh, I would throw it in
1: there. But uh, yeah, so I was pretty I was pretty happy with that, all things considered. Um, but uh, but as far as 2015 goes, I I've, I've I watched 51 movies, so that's about a, a movie a week. So which is better than I thought I'd do.
2: Yes. Yes. Nice. <laughs> and and, uh, and um uh so now um. That's what I was
0: going to say. But anyway, keep on going. <laughs> Alright, so I guess, like I said, I'll get the ball rolling with my honorable mentions. And out of my list of 40, I took 10 out from my top 10. And now my honorable mentions that I just had to mention in some way or fashion are definitely Ex Machina, It Follows, Mission Impossible Rogue Nation, The Martian, Trainwreck, Brooklyn, and Southpaw, The Walk, and The Intern. So for me, those were the ones that I really enjoyed, but they really didn't fit as a top ten for my year. But uh, I definitely enjoyed all of those movies. Okay. Now, notice films like like Avengers, Age of Ultron aren't on there. They're not on my top ten, either, but I think we'll get to that at the end of the show when we talk about, like, disappointment slash missed opportunities that I think Adolfo was alluding to. Yeah. But.
1: Um
0: I've got a couple
1: of uh, I got a little bit of crossover with with your uh, honorable mentions. I have Ex Machina, which when I, when the year started, it was my number one movie of the year. But I think there's so many good, there's so much good stuff that came out since then that and, it bumped, it's like my number six essentially. And, and, that, and that one, that,
2: yeah, I was gonna say that one. That one hung around for a while. I
1: remember. It did hang around for a while. It yeah. did hang around for a while. But it's like my num- If if there was like a top six, it'd be my number six, right? But because I really love that movie, but the I like the other ones just a little bit better. Yes. Um, yes. Uh, I also really enjoyed uh, Creed, uh, The Hateful Eight, The Martian. Um, I really uh, thought I really enjoyed Straight Outta Compton a lot. Um, I enjoyed The Big Shorts. And Bridge of Spies, I just thought it was a little conventional, but it was enjoyable. It was like an enjoyable two hours, even though you knew exactly what was going to happen in every... It was
2: was two and a half hours.
1: It was two two and a half hours. But it was like... You know, it was like it was good craft work. It wasn't necessarily good artwork, but it was, it was yes. like well, it was well crafted. You know, um, and the Mark Rylance in the supporting role was really, really good. Um, and then it follows, as you mentioned before. And then a movie that um, I don't think anybody saw because every time I mentioned to people, like they, they're like, I don't know what that is. It's a movie called What We Do in the Shadows. Which I, I saw thought, it, which I think is one of the funniest movies I've seen on YouTube. It,
2: it's, it's, it's one. Of, it's in, it's also in my honorable mentions. It's probably one of the most original horror movies and there's not even horror movies, it's a horror comedy that's yeah. come out in the last, I don't know, ten years, man. It was just uh just a phenomenal piece of work and, and uh, you could tell whoever was behind that was like a fan of the genre because all the stereotypes are there, you know, and uh just just some of the some of in the third act especially when shit starts going down and uh, it's just yeah. a great film. And and you know yeah. I like how they, they, they did they did have that balancing act where there was parts that were scary
1: yeah at the t- especially at the end when they're at the party, and then you're then you actually got a little concerned for the one human character um, yeah. but yeah I thought but honestly, as far as like pure comedy goes, I think that's probably my funniest movie of the year. Um, oh, and the other movie I didn't mention uh because it it was probably tied with my number five. Um, because my number five is also a nostalgia pick, but, it, and, and, and it was like, which one of these do I want to take? And the other one just slightly edged it out. Uh, my, the other honorable mention was Creed. Oh, okay. But the other nostalgia pick, you could probably guess what it is, but, uh, the Creed was just barely
0: made the list. Oh. Mm-hmm. what about uh, you, Draven?
2: Okay, so, you know, Adolf already talked about what we do in the shadows. Great film. I had a good time. I'm actually going to, I should purchase that one very soon because it does have a lot of rewatchability to it. Um, I, <laughs> And by the way, we're doing spoilers, of course, right? Because, I mean, what we do in the shadows is pretty old.
0: Yeah,
2: we can do spoilers. So, Adolfo, my favorite scene is when they, when they accidentally kill that, 500-year-old vampire. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that, that, which I think his name was Peter. Of he was that's Peter, and he was, yeah. like the, he was, was
1: everybody. he was yeah. the Nosferatu of the
2: The Nosferatu, yeah, and they killed him, <laughs> and then they're all freaked out and stuff, because, no, because first he gets this great build-up. That's the best part. He gets this ama- amazing build-up of who he is, how old he is, and then they ended up just killing him by accident and stuff, and that, that's, that's very funny. Now, I'm not going to talk about some of the other punchlines, because, you know, they kind of build up to them, and then, you know, the payoff's good. So, I have that one, I have another great film that came out this year. It's called Bone Tomahawk with uh with Kurt Russell. Oh
1: I've been wanting to see that. That's on my I list. I love this
2: film. This film, okay, essentially, um it's a it's a Western, which which, you know, Westerns are they they're, they're kinda of making a quasi comeback nowadays with the hateful later and whatnot. And uh, you know, just just to give the so, somewhat of the plot real quick, it's about uh the, the these cannibal the cannibal tribe that 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 kinda of comes down to the to the to the town of of, of you know, Kurt Russell and um who else is in it? Uh, uh, the, the guy from Lost, uh, the, 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 the main character from Lost, um, he's in it. Um, Matthew uh, Fox, Matthew Fox, yes. And and uh, there, there, there's some other great character actors in it. And pretty much is pretty much uh, Kurt Russell and his crew going in there to fight this this, this cannibal tribe. And just just the characters, the way the characters are written, is, is, it, it, like any Western, it's, it's a methodical movie. It's not, you're not going to get all kinds of wham-bam, you know. It, it, it takes this time to build the characters, and then the third act, it just fucking lets you have it all at once. And it's a great film, and it's more of a drama than it is a horror movie, but you still get the atmosphere is so great and everything about it, there's a, there's a, a sense of, like, dread that, that, it, that it makes for a good movie. So it's Bone Tomahawk. That's one that I recommend people check out. Um, another one that I really love this year is uh, Going Clear uh, Scientology. And, and the oh, I wanted to see a that one me too. Me too. I to Great see that film. One. Uh, you know, it really opens your eyes to certain things that are going on with, with Scientology. They talk a lot about Tom Cruise and how he might be kind of blackmailed. It's very creepy and it's very interesting, very intriguing. Um, of course, uh, mm-hmm. I, I, another one is Sicario. I like Sicario a lot too. Um, I don't know if
1: you guys caught it. You know, I did catch it. I liked it, but my only... beef. So I thought Benicio Del Toro was amazing in that movie. Yes. And I think, you know, and we can maybe we can talk about this a little later, but I think one of the reasons I think that the Oscar So White movement might have a point is that he should have been nominated for a, uh, for Best Supporting Actor, because I think he was awesome. Um, but uh, my only problem with it was that the Emily Blunt character was really only there to just have stuff happen to her. Like she didn't actively do anything. And I right. think that's that's kind of my main problem with it. But like it was a beauty like that cinematography in that movie is gorgeous. The movie looks amazing. And it, and like the first act is strong and the third act is strong. But I thought like the middle act was a little lackluster.
2: I thought it peaked when uh, when they actually go into Juarez and, and, that, and that very tense, you know, uh, oh, when, caravan, the, the caravan scene. It's when, amazing. They're crossing the, when
1: they're crossing the border? Yes, yes. Yeah, that's a great scene. That is a great scene. You're right. I think that's the peak.
2: I, I actually got inspired to damn near write an entire concept on, on just that scene alone. You know, trying to transfer a criminal over and, and trying to, like, you know, go through all these other people that, that want some sort of bounty or whatever. Uh, just watching that scene and just the, the atmosphere and the tension was incredible and and but unfortunately i will say that the movie kind of peaked for me right there because after that it was kind of a kind of went downhill and also another thing like you said the the emily blunt character was kind of you know she was kind of like whatever and she wasn't very likable because she was one of the things about writing is that when, when when you have your lead kind of be an idiot or dumb or or get hoodwinked a lot you kind of start you, you you don't want to root for them anymore, and you are kind of just want them to get out of the screen. And, sh- and you know, the whole thing about, um uh, what's his name, uh, Brolin, kind of conning her left and right, not really telling her what's going on. It started, to, like, after a while, I was just annoyed by her.
1: Yeah, I, I kind of expected her to be more of, like, uh, Jodie Foster in Science of the Lambs, where Jodie Foster is getting conned a lot, but she's still taking an active role in the investigation. Whereas, yeah. like, she just kind of is just a pawn the whole time. And, and then... Go ahead. No, that's the only thing that bugged me is that she was just kind of a pawn and nothing like she wasn't ever really actively doing anything. And even in the one time like where she like has the one moment to have like a big fight scene, she ends up getting saved by Benicio del Toro. So like it was like alright.
2: Yes. And and so um and then also they they, they didn't really uh, this was just bad writing. They never gave her a reason enough to stick around. Like her the stakes for her to be there were never that high. So yeah. After a while, it's like, well, what the fuck? Because she would always throw the line, well, I'm leaving or whatever. And then she would just come back. She does that like three times in the whole fucking movie. And it's like, well, if you're going to leave, leave, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and and it's like uh, Josh Brolin and, and Benicio, they wanted her to stay. But that's a little bad, right? They never gave her kind of – they just kind of figured this guy, this girl's a woman. She'll come back. You know what I'm saying? Very, <laughs> yeah. very, very sexist in my view. And so she would just keep on coming back. And, okay, well,
1: then let's go, you know? It It is worth a watch, though. I think it's worth Ah, a definitely
2: watch. worth a watch. It, yeah.
1: It's just, it has a lot of problems.
2: And then, um uh, I'll, I'll give two more here. If we can get going. Uh, uh, two of them are, are what, we, what people would consider, I guess, uh, romantic comedies. Even though they're not romantic comedies, they're kind of like, I would say, even coming of age or whatever. No, one of them is like that. The other one is uh, Mistress America. I love that movie. Oh, I,
1: I, thought, you know, uh, I have that sitting on my, like, to watch list, yeah.
2: I thought Mistress America was the opposite of Sicario as far as the writing. I think in those characters, especially, you know, people my age or whatever, you could really understand where those characters are coming from. And they're so well layered, both of them, really, because it's two, it's two characters. Have you seen this one, Mark? I've heard of it. I have
0: not gotten to watch it yet, though.
2: Okay, so that was another one. Just beautiful writing, great performances. Uh, the the chick that's the lead, she actually wrote it, and I think she directed it, too. Um, and I hope she gets more gigs because it was very – it's one of those movies that it's all in the dialogue, it's all, it's all in, in the performances, and it's very relatable to, to somebody from my generation and what they're going through as far as, you know, your, your dreams and your goals and whatnot. And the other one um, is uh, – this one more of a, of a romantic movie. It's called Before We Go with uh, I think it's Alice Eve and Chris Evans. And I think Chris Evans directed it. And um, this is another film where it takes a look at the relationships and, and you know, the struggles with the relationships in, in a realistic fashion, um, both the goods and the bads. It doesn't have that Hollywood-esque, you know, cherry on top that everybody likes to finish their movies nowadays in Hollywood. And, and it's a very good film. It's, you know, so, so people should check that one out. And that's pretty much it. You know, I got here on An Honest Liar, which is another. It's on Netflix if people want to check it out. It's about uh, this magician that exposes – it's a documentary. This magician exposes uh, other magicians, but then he has a secret himself. And I'm not going to give it away, but it kind of reveals it towards the end of the documentary. So that's a pretty good film too. So those are my honorable mentions for the year.
0: Nice. Now, I yeah. guess we can get uh, started with our, our lists. Now, just a disclaimer, as I'm sure everybody knows, I always put on my uh, final list, top 10 of 2015 or 14 or of that year – the day of the Oscars, because I always like to go through the 24-hour marathon before I decide on like, okay, does this deserve a place on my list? Because sometimes I've added stuff like at the last minute after seeing it during those uh those marathons. So that final list always comes out the day of the Oscars because I get home, I get tired, I take a nap, and then I just type up my list quickly and post it. But, um, but for now, and same same here. There's a couple of movies that I have I I have
1: not gotten a chance to cut uh, to catch up with. Like I haven't seen Carol. I haven't seen Brooklyn. Um, Anomalisa is something that got a lot of buzz I want to check that out, haven't had a chance yet I want to check out Mistress America Um, I thought there was another one that I wanted to check out, but I can't remember right now but there's a couple that I haven't seen so uh, if anybody listens to this and like well I didn't include that, it's probably because I haven't seen it yet Exactly,
0: yeah anything I don't include or don't mention is most likely because either I didn't think it was that great or because I haven't seen it yet so if you see like Furious 7 is missing from my list it's because I haven't seen it so, um, anyway, so.
1: Furious 7 wasn't a major list, though, dude, come
0: on. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's a, great, it's a great action movie, but come on. I'm just saying, like, in case people are complaining about Furious 7 not having a place, I'm just telling you I never saw it. So, that's my reasoning for that. But anyway, so, before I saw my number 5, so my 6 through 10, just going to run them out quickly, is number 10 is The Revenant, number 9 is Jurassic World, number 8 is Ant-Man, number 7 is Spotlight, and number 6 is Inside Out. So this is the bottom half of my top ten list. So I don't know if you guys want to talk about any of those or if they have any places on your honorable mentions or your list or whatever. Um,
1: no, they don't have – I don't think actually any of them are in my top five. Uh, but I will say The Revenant is a movie that I respect more than I like, if that makes any sense. Yeah, really? it
2: makes perfect mm-hmm. sense. That's, right. It does, really.
1: Like I, 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 I think Leo is going to win the Oscar for this. Uh, I think it's in the cards that he's gonna win the Oscar. I think he gave a great performance. The movie looks gorgeous. So it was beautifully shot, but I just couldn't get into it like i j ju- it was just it just didn't click with me like, but for I, me but it, I, I just personally
0: expect everything that was on the screen, yeah, for me, it got a little slow in the middle, it's like the beginning is great the middle got kind of slow for me and then at the well, end everything picked up again but the, it's still op- a very hard watch the opening sequence is amazing yeah um, i will but and it, and it it's just
1: everything you see on screen looks fantastic and i complete respect all the effort and work that, that went into it I, ju- I just it didn't click for me
2: i thought i mean tom hardy was phenomenal in this yes movie, he was i mean yes, just he was. He was um, like like he's the guy fuck, i mean leo did a great job too just because i mean that that bear scene alone you know i i know I don't, I don't know if they put him on wires or what, but he, he he had to pick it up there, and he did. He did a great job. But um uh, Tom Hardy, just the lair. That's how you book a villain, folks. I mean, this motherfucker was out for himself, survival. But at the same time, there's, he made a lot of good points, especially, especially you know, and we're spoiler territory here, especially when they had to make the decision to leave uh, Leo behind. You know, it was like... You, anybody in that situation, you can't tell me that you're going to straight up just be the Mr. Morality and be like, we got to stay with them or, you know. And then like a good heel, too, everything that, that Tom Hardy did, he did it as, as, a, as a mode of survival. You know, for example, when, when shit hit the fan with Leo's kid and um, and all that, he did it as a result of Leo's kid being a little bit defiant. You know what I'm saying? It, the plan was for all of them to just go together and leave kind of leave Leo behind, so um, there's a lot of that, and, and, and you know, yeah, just I, I think Tom Hardy did a great fucking job, and he's not going to get the the, the Oscar. I, it's probably going to go to Slice Stallone, whatever. I mean, that's he deserves it too, I guess, but, you know, pound for pound, I think Tom Hardy did the best, you know, from that category of, of Oscar nominees. And, um, again, I'm, I'm probably never going to see that movie again.
0: Uh, <laughs> well i'm gonna but, see one more time at least so
2: but uh but that's the kind of movie that should have been shot on a 70 millimeter film because that's where you know yeah a know
0: lot what, of gorgeous shots
2: i don't know why quinn shot his other than he's on a tour and all that shit i get it but when you have you know eight people in a house, or nine people you know the the the, the J. what was the guy of the, the guy that was driving the horses he gets no love
1: in any of the promotion for that movie. oh yeah because it's really the hateful nine because he's ob ob oh <laughs> yeah there, ob yeah <laughs> Uh, uh, he, I guess, he, I guess it's, not, it's not the hateful nine because he's like the one true neutral character that doesn't have an agenda. But but he is the ni- he's there's nine guys in there, not eight. So.
2: Yeah, and and so um Alejandro Irobatsu, he <laughs> you
0: know, that's his name, right? Irobatsu. That's <laughs> oh. I've heard it pronounced like three different ways. I think Inyarat- it's Inyiritu in- now. In- in- Inyiritu is what I've heard. Yeah. yeah.
2: Well, that's his thing. That, that I mean, he loves to be methodical. I mean. If you guys seen Babel is the same thing, or Babel or Bubble or Babel. Babel yeah, same Babel. Same shit. Twenty one grams. same shit. Uh the only one Amores Perros was the one that really had a nice little pacing to it. And it was to me this is the best movie he's ever done.
1: Um but uh, but Amores Peros is so fucking like brutal to watch. That's yeah. a brutal that's a brutal movie. <laughs> But it's a great film. Though, you it's know, a great three... movie. It's a great movie,
2: though. And, and so... But besides that, you know, yeah, he's always been very methodical. And once I saw the runtime on this film, I was like, fuck, here we go. Because I already knew it was... A... But, but that's been the biggest criticism with that film. It just drags. Especially for the yeah. casual fan that's not all artsy or snobby. They really, really hate that aspect of the movie. Uh, but... Uh, you, you you cut you cut about twenty minutes out of that film and it's you had a uh, Tom Hardy's performance, Leo's performance, the actual just at the, at, at its core it's a revenge film. That's what yeah. it is. And, and so it, it it comes out being a, a great fucking movie. And uh, the Dom Hogleeson character is a little wasted, especially you know when we find out what happened to him. But uh, you know whatever. I guess they, they had to put a little more heat on Tom Hardy. So he's been kind of wasted
0: in a couple of movies uh, this year. But that, we'll that dude get to was that
2: in, in a every,
1: little bit. That dude was in every movie this year. He was in, <laughs> That's what it seemed like, right? Revenant. He was in Ex Machina. He was in Star Wars. Was, oh, he's he in Brooklyn in, also, Texas bro. Brooklyn. Yeah. In, like, every movie this year. But they are all <laughs> different characters, which is a good thing. Which is a good yeah. thing. Yeah, I agree. He's got a, he's got a good agent. <laughs> yeah,
0: definitely.
2: So, uh, yeah, the Revenant people should go check it out.
0: Yeah. I think so. I mean, I am kind of find it hard to recommend it to everyone because it's really not for everyone for many different reasons. But... Um, I still think it, it was a great to, movie.
1: I, I'd recommend it to, like, film snobs, but I wouldn't recommend it to, like, the average Joe moviegoer. Right.
2: All right. Uh, also, uh, all right, so Ant-Man. Ant-Man was a good time. Um, you know, we, we reviewed it on one of the shows. It, it was. Uh, it really surprised me. It was different, which is what, what I remember I made at that point. It was different than your average Marvel superhero movie, which is always a good thing. Uh, the villain was underused a little bit, but it's an origin story. That's always going to be the case with, with these origin stories. And
0: um, so that's another great movie. Uh, can you repeat the other three real fast? Uh, Jurassic World, Spotlight, and Inside Out. Okay, here we go.
2: The more I watch Jurassic World, the more I hate it, and the more the, the the more I lose confidence in this guy giving us a good episode nine. Because at its core, once you start watching Jurassic World a couple of times, it's a, it's a it's not a very good movie. Especially the characters, they got the whole kid thing, which I hate. I, I can't stand movies that that make the kids the focal point because by default they have to know more than the adults and it makes them look a little, you know, like, so, so, um, it has (laughs) (laughs)
1: CD-ROM.
2: So, yeah, Jurassic World loses a little luster with me every time I watch it and, um,
1: you know, go ahead. I've only seen, I only saw it once and that was back in theaters in June. Um, and, you know, we reviewed on the show and I had a really good time with it because I like, basically because of the monster fights, the monster fights, were a lot of fun to watch but yeah. i gotta be honest in that since since june i haven't thought about it once like i haven't i haven't had an urge yeah, i've to seen it twice it. already
0: yeah and yeah it,
1: I, i've only saw it once and i haven't had an urge to re-watch it i haven't I, I didn't go out and buy it when it came out on blu-ray i'm just i'm you know i saw it once and i enjoyed it and um yeah i don't have it i'm not hurt, running out to
0: see it again Okay, well, I mean, for yeah. me, it was more like that, that. That was the epitome of the blockbuster. This and another movie we're gonna get to in a little bit. That it, that it is. That
2: it is. It, it was, uh, it was a fun, fun, dumb popcorn movie. Exactly. And and, and and at the end of the day, during summertime, that's really all you want. So you know, the the funny thing about fun, dumb popcorn movies is again, we've talked about the evolution of these filmmakers, and they're they're getting pretty good, man. I mean, you you have to bring a little more than dumb and fun. To, to these blockbusters nowadays, because some of these are getting pretty deep and they're very well written and structured. So uh, you know, but hey, Jurassic World still made it. They made what? Like it was a number two movie oh, in America yeah. or something like that. So yeah. some, some people still eat this shit up. Most people actually, but uh, it wasn't for me.
1: Well, let's face it. The reason it's like it, it uh, until star wars came out it was the biggest movie in the world was because you don't need to know english to watch it you can just <laughs> like no i'm serious i mean that, that that's, that's right people, you're right though like you can yeah. put that movie anywhere in the world and people just sit there and then they and yeah they subtitle movies and they dub them but i mean they don't need to explain a lot you know they just let people there's dinosaurs they're eating people go
2: yeah, and it's cute, you know, with the whole thing with uh with the two leads, you know. I just thought the Jessica Chastain character was really annoying and one dimensional, but uh, it, you know, at the end of the day, oh,
1: I, it, that was I, Bryce Dallas Howard.
2: Oh, Bryce Dallas, yeah, um, they're the same person, aren't they?
1: So, um, <laughs>
2: so at the oh, end of the, <laughs> so at the end of the day, it's like I also have to take into consideration that movies are not made for me though, you know. They're made for the casual viewer, and the casual viewer just wants to sit on their ass and you know. Just watch a movie for for two hours and get entertained. That's it. Right. So, um, Spotlight. Spotlight was it, is Spotlight in any of you guys' yes. uh, top? No, but Adolfo, do you have it on
0: your list for top five? It'll be in my top five It's Okay, well then let's. See nice. On All right. So. Um, and then Inside Out. I mean, we've talked about already before yeah, on the show. Yeah.
2: Great, great film. Yeah, that's a, that's another great film. All right. A, so- lot, a lot better. A lot better than the Good Dinosaur, I thought.
0: Oh, I good still haven't seen that one good. yet, but I really don't want to. The Good to. Dinosaur
1: was very average. Yes, uh, yes, that's
2: what I... I haven't seen it, but I've been hearing that from everybody, you know, just...
1: just I job mean, started. here's the thing. With The Good Dinosaur, like, um, now that I now that I have a daughter and I'm, I'm being exposed to a lot of, like, children's programming and, and things like that, and even though she's not one years old, she's starting to watch, like, Sesame Street and things like that, there's the kind of kid stuff that, like, you just kind of sit there and you want to shoot yourself because it's so, like horribly like you know pandering to kids and like <laughs> stupid jokes and fart jokes and things like that and there's the, and then there's the stuff that well, like you well, welcome, welcome to the next
2: 12 years of your life I know right?
1: I, I know right <laughs> <laughs> like uh, i i am when I, as she grows up i'm totally going to be looking forward to movies like inside out and i'm totally going to be dreading things like norm of the north right uh, so yeah. <laughs> like, but 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 the good dinosaur is kind of somewhere in the middle it's like you can sit there and you watch it it's, you're not going to hate it like if you watch it but it's not it's not like when i realized it was a pixar movie i was kind of shocked because pixar does way better than this it's kind of like a middle of the road disney movie it's not offensive but it's not great it's just kind of there
0: cool all right i guess now we can start with the listen so my number five of the year is personally star wars the force awakens i mean we've already talked about this with big d on the previous episode um it's really, on top of a Jurassic World, it's really the epitome of the blockbuster way. But I thought that the storytelling here was, was, even though, yes, it is kind of a rehash of A New Hope, we understand that, but we still felt new and fresh, and it was very, a very great film, I thought. And definitely, to me, personally, it lived up to the hype. Maybe not surpass it, but, I mean, my hype kind of gets up to a certain level, and, it met that level, met those requirements, and I really, really enjoyed it. It was one of my uh, one of my top five favorites of the year.
1: It's actually my number five, too. It's like, uh, as I said, I had two nostalgia picks that were fighting for number five. One was Creed, and then this was the other one. Uh, so that's my number five as well. Um, and again, I know that it's flawed, but it's it, – it my nostalgia – just kicked in and pushed it up higher in the list. Then maybe if you judge it based on pure quality, wouldn't have made it. But uh, but I still think based on, on pure quality, it's a great blockbuster movie. Uh, it's a great family movie. It's a great sci-fi movie. It's a great fantasy movie. Uh, it has a lot of good action in it. Um, I, I still I've seen it three times now, and the Me one too. part the one part that that I think is like complete bathroom break, is that stupid thing where where they're where, where they're on the uh when they first meet Han and Chewie and they're running away from those all oh, what those yeah, the bounty hunter guys I yeah hate, I hate that scene I think it's stupid uh other than that doesn't I, make any sense either too you really think it's about a, it. it's just like it, it seems like like somebody was writing it and was like oh we haven't had an action scene in like 15 minutes let's throw it in there watch so till so that's like, a
0: kanja club we'll tell that to Kanja club <laughs> like, and, what? And, 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 <laughs> those guys
1: I think those those are the guys from the raid and, like, they were completely <laughs> wasted in that scene because The Raid isn't if you've ever seen The Raid – like, when I first heard, like, the, some of the guys from The Raid would be in the movie, I was like, oh, my God, are they going to give them lightsabers because that's going to be awesome? And then they're just, like – they're just getting eaten by CGI monsters, and I was like, that's stupid. Um, other than that, I, I really love this movie, um, and it's such a – just because it restored Star Wars to, like – once again be like something that you can be proud to enjoy uh it, it makes it, it makes the list for me
2: i thought i thought it did everything it was supposed to do and that and that's i think that's where some of the especially some of the more hardcore star wars fanboys the ones that are in the bubble they don't understand that this this film uh just by default you know all, all the masters they had to serve and everything it wasn't gonna it wasn't gonna be a perfect movie it just it just first of all studio pictures by default are, you're never gonna see a perfect movie because there's just too many cooks in the kitchen. And but with that said, I think JJ's approach, and I could just imagine the pressure, especially with JJ being a fanboy himself. I could just imagine the pressure that he was under uh, to deliver. And I think with with all things being equal, he he turned in a, a pretty fucking great movie. You know, mm-hmm. um, could we sit here and and and, and say that it could have been done better? Of course we could. You know, but but uh you know he he did what he did what he had what he had to do uh, and that's established a new franchise he could, he wasn't going to give us the the, the entire stake in one sitting you know we kind of had to come back for the rest of it and um i th- i thought it was it was very well done uh, so some of the things you know with the writing like with the fin turn early the, all that stuff yeah but here's the deal with some movies folks is like sometimes when the, when there's faults in a movie but but everything else delivers then the faults are not going to be enough for me to say the movie sucked. You know what I'm saying? Because it just it just it just not. I mean, uh, at the end of the day, I, I still had emotion at the end of the movie, and it wasn't anger. Uh, and so I, I thought it was a very very uh, good film.
0: Well, that's always a win. when you when you when the credits start and you don't feel like blinding rage. I think that's always a good thing, no matter what it is.
2: <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. Because you know, people would say, well, he
2: had the classic characters as a as a crutch, and he did. But at the same time, they were also a handicap because you could, you know, classic characters are classic characters. And, and and we as fanboys, and this is something that George Lucas, unfortunately, which is a guy that I respect, but I've never hated on George Lucas because there's absolutely, I don't I don't really understand that when you really think about the big picture. But, uh, um, you know, when, when he, he created these classic characters and the fanboys took them away from George, that's essentially what happened. Let's be real about it. And so... J.J., people say, well, he, he had the classic characters as, as crutches and, and, you know, to get heat, but they could also have been a handicap because if people were not liking where this was going with these characters, they would have been very angry coming out of that theater, and they weren't. Most of them were very emotional, you know, Han Solo dying was a big deal, um, and, and and through all this, th- this is how I know I, I, J.J. did a good job. I was not pissed off one iota that motherfucking Mark Hamill was only on screen for two seconds. It didn't bother me at all. You know? <laughs> and, 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 and I think had 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 the movie been kind of a letdown going into that scene, people would have added that on top of everything else to say this movie fucking sucked. So, you know, that's what I'm saying. He did a great job with everything he had. Uh,
1: I think I think though the the criticism that is that the, he had the classic characters to to uh, as a crutch is a little bit invalid though because the only one that has a major role is Han Solo. Like you don't see Leia that much. You you certainly don't see the two droids that much. As you said, Mark Hamill is like only in two seconds of the movie. Darth Vader's dead. Like really, it's just Han, Han and Chewie. So like yeah, but that wasn't enough though. That was that was. And that's all you need. I mean, that's all you need. And you know, again, not the greatest Star Wars movie, but it's. It's it's in the conversation and and like it's 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 close to the original trilogy and it's a lot better than those prequels. Well, so, I'll say right. this.
2: I'll say this. I've gone on record as saying this. It is so. Offic- and I don't care what kind of heat I get. It's officially my number two favorite Star Wars movie be- behind Empire. Because I like it better than Jedi and I like it better than than a New Hope.
1: I think it might be tied with Jedi for me. Um, but I but the thing is, it's like it's still too recent for me to like rank it like against those yet. I just know that it's better than the prequels.
2: I mean, every time I see that lightsaber do that waltz, as I call it, between Darth Vader and Obi Wan, I, I kind of... <laughs> and, I, and I know the technology wasn't there. I'm not. I'm not throwing anybody under the bus here, but it's just you know, come on. I'm a human being in in, in this world, in this era's technology, and it fucks with me every time I see and that loud clang 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 every time they're clashing. Only lightsaber- a
0: master of evil, Darth. <laughs> <laughs>
2: But uh, no, but I love the throwbacks. I mean, one of my favorite scenes, and I don't know why I marked out for this so much, was when uh, when Kylo Ren is walking and he stops and he senses Han, you know, duplicating that classic scene when Darth Vader senses Obi Wan in the Death Star. I love. Yeah. I don't know why I popped for that scene, but when he did it perfectly and, and, and replicated exactly, uh, I, I just fucking marked out. And of course, you know, you, you have the classic apocalypse now scene. I mean, JJ went out loud with love that references. that he went all out with he threw all kinds of references in that movie and um again this guy's an
1: ultimate fanboy he's a fanboy I mean you ever see the movie super eight that's a that's a huge love letter to Steven Spielberg Spielberg movies. yeah you know like he's a he's a huge he likes to it's 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 kind of weird because like I don't think he has his own style but he can mimic other styles really well Does yeah that make any sense
2: and another thing to say about that movie okay so it had the same beats of a new hope it wasn't the it wasn't a new hope and you know uh, that's the reason why Kylo Ren is so different than Darth Vader, because at the end of the day, you can't have another Darth Vader. You just can't do it, you know? And and, and I know he was trying to make... Because another criticism of the film is how Kylo got his ass whooped essentially in his first actual duel in the movie, you know? But at the end of the day, if you, if you analyze that scene correctly... He didn't really get his ass whooped. He was hurt, you know, and, and and he actually punked out Finn. He made him his bitch. Finn got a lucky shot in there, but everybody gets a lucky shot.
1: Yeah, I I really hate that criticism because after watching it like the second and third time, for like he Finn doesn't Finn gets his ass kicked. Like Finn gets yeah. a like you said he gets a lucky shot, but he gets his ass kicked, and he also gets his ass kicked by a guy who was just shot in the stomach. So yes. like
0: yeah, it's kind of a burial. <laughs>
1: And and, and <laughs> the, the thing about Ray is like there are clues in there that she is like been that she not only is strong with the force, that she potentially could have also been trained. So it's not like she's a rookie either. So like I, I hate that criticism that like oh these two rookies like uh like beat up beat up the, the villain. I was like, No, they didn't. Like Finn got one shot in and then he got his ass kicked.
2: Yeah, and it I pisses see- me
1: off. I think what people wanted and, and you know for film snobs like
2: ourselves, this is the opposite of what what, what your average fan wanted. I think what people wanted was a one dimensional, you know, ah, monster. You know what I'm saying? They wanted Kyler Ren to just be a badass throughout the entire picture. And what JJ was trying to do is just to try to right off the but right off the bat give him a three dimensional character with, 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 with an arc. And, you know, most people, they're not used to that kind of storytelling, especially in a big studio picture. So whereas people were expecting this badass Darth Maul-like character, they got the, the, this this very flawed, very human villain. And and that's where people kind of took it to, like, what the fuck? This guy's crying. He's tearing stuff off, He's taking his mask off. You know, what the fuck? And so uh, we, he should have put it back on. Let's be real about it. But that's... <laughs> yeah, he's,
1: he's a goofy-looking dude. But uh, I, I, I think what, what bothers me is about that is that, you know, that they, they, they want – like you said, they wanted this big, bad monster guy, which was what Darth Vader was in the first movie. But in Empire, which is what everybody – like every Star Wars geek says is their favorite movie, that's the first movie that he actually has any depth. Because yes. in the first movie, he's completely one-dimensional. Like he's a great villain. Like he looks cool and he's very menacing. But – he's one dimensional. It wasn't it isn't until Empire that he's that you actually get to know who he is and like he actually has some depth. But they started with the depth in the first one here and the people start bitching. I mean, nerds nerds just piss me off sometimes. I got to be. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I'm a huge nerd. I'm like the big one of the biggest nerds out there. But sometimes like you like nerds can just like they're just too nerdy for even me.
2: I think I think I, I've gone I've gone into rant on this about wrestling fans, so this it's the same thing. I think every niche product uh, has their fan base like that very rabid. I think what it is a lot of times is that we kind we kind of like like I said earlier to what they did to George Lucas, they we we kind of rob those characters and we want to make them our own. And, and you know, they're, they're, there's a sense of like transparency going on where we feel we know what's best for those characters a lot of times as as hardcore families and when we don't get our way even even if it's a small detail we we lash out about it it's it's like an identity thing going on here and um that's just the way it is with every single niche product out there you know whether it's sports or wrestling or or movies and it's always going to be that fan base you know so i i I really don't take it I really, I really take all that criticism with a grain of salt. Um, I think we all have our critics here that, that we really respect, and we know they have the kind of eye, like, eye that we respect, and those are the critics that I listen to. But most of the fanboys... Um, I, I heard somebody say years ago, it's like, you never allow a fanboy to make a movie, you know? Because if they're not trained to make a movie, they're going to make the worst movie in the history of cinema, even though in their mind they're thinking they're making the greatest movie ever.
1: Oh, a... it, 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 I, I absolutely agree with you, because it's like whenever I see those, like... And I'm gonna piss off so many people now. I'm gonna piss off so many nerds when I say this. Every time you see like on YouTube those fan films of like, here's my Batman fan film. Here's my Superman
0: fan Batman film. Batman versus like, Alien, bro. Yeah, I'm just like, <laughs> I'm not
1: watching this. This is garbage because you are you are aren't you aren't trained to do this, and you're just like throwing everything at the screen that you think is cool. But this is this is a garbage. problem. Bro, I, I the, the same that.
0: thing can be said about wrestling fans when they start doing their fantasy WrestleMania cards. Girls, we get Undertaker versus Alberto Del Rio versus Sheamus in the Triple oh, my god. It, yeah, yeah, it's exactly that. Like, everyone, like, I remember when that Batman
1: then thing came out, like, 10 years ago or whatever it was, and, like, all the fanboys were, were just, you know, masturbating all over it. And I watched it. I'm like, this is dumb. Why is all of a sudden he fighting an alien? That's just completely random and thrown in there. It? That's stupid.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, aliens look cool. That's why.
0: Yeah, that's it. It's that's the only reason. <laughs>
2: uh, so, Bro, yeah, Force Awakens definitely, definitely a great film.
0: Bro, the Dudleys versus Triple H and Sting. i couldn't
2: believe it when i read that but um uh,
0: what's your number five bro
2: oh my number okay so here we go so there was a movie released on video on demand about six months ago called turbo kid and i I heard about that okay so turbo kid stars uh michael ironside it's a canadian film it was made in canada canada's actually picking up they've been making some good films lately um the movie is is kind of a tribute to a lot of those Mad Max films of the '80s. Mm-hmm. It's about this kid who uh, is this alternate 1997 universe where uh, you know where where wa- water there's there's no water and you know you know that that, that whole uh, what do you call it the the apocalyptic world and stuff
1: dystopian future.
2: And, yes, and uh, it, the the world is ruled by this guy called Zeus, this this big tyrant. Uh, who, ha- who happens to be played by Michael Ironside. Now, the kid, and that's just his name, the kid, he, he, he rides a bicycle. See, and then, and, then, and then, you know, with these movies, you get all that wacky, uh, uh, just, just the, the, the visual of it, you know, with, with, with this guy has a bicycle with superpowers in it. Um, he calls it the turbo rider. And it reminded me about all those... Uh, so essentially, this kid has to fight this this, this tyrant, and then, you know, within that, that structure, you meet all these wacky cast of characters that come and help him out, including this villain, the, the, the enforcer uh, of Zeus, who happens to be wearing, like a, like, like, a high school football, you know, uniform with the helmet, but you can't see inside his face. And then at the end, when they reveal he's got, like, a skull, it's pretty cool. Um, and, and, you know, his gimmick is that he just rushes people and kills them and explodes them, uh, so, so it's a very wacky movie, but just, uh, it reminded me of those Amblin films of the eighties, like the Goonies and stuff, you know, where, where, uh, it, it's the, the, you don't see these kind of films anymore, just because I think we as a society have gotten so cynical, there's no room for them anymore. But, uh, you know, just that throwback to that, 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 uh, feel good kind of kid movie where it's also made for adults, because this is a very hard R you see, you see decapitations, you see, you know, but at the same time it has the spirit of a kid movie. You know what I'm saying? So I just I just fell in love with it. It's a great movie. Uh, the, the the final battle is fucking awesome for the budget it had. So I'm putting uh, Turbo Kid as my number five, and people should go out and check it out.
0: Nice, definitely, definitely, we'll put it on my watch list.
2: Yes, and you know, and then it, it has a you know, there's a love story with the with with a teenage girl he falls in love with, and then they kind, of, you know, it's it's a very well written film. People should check it out.
0: Awesome. All right. So um,
2: your number four.
0: Yes, so moving on to my number four is, personally, it's Creed. Um, this is another one of those like nostalgia-driven films that Adolfo was talking about earlier, where basically you know they've been calling it Black Rocky. And essentially, when you look at the basic story, it is. It's basically a kind of a reimagining of the first Rocky film with uh, Michael B. Jordan in the Adonis Creed role. And um, I it was I thought it was a very powerful film. Even though it was the same basic story, I love the characters. I love the performance and especially Sly Stallone who freaking <laughs> almost drove me to tears with his acting because it was had such dramatic, uh, such great dramatic performance I'm trying to say. And I mean, I just enjoyed the story from start to finish. Like it had a very satisfying ending, even though it was basically the same ending as Rocky, but I still felt that it was perfect for like the arc of that character and just an overall just very satisfying story. Yeah, I, I love this movie. It just
1: barely made it. My, it barely made it. It just didn't, you know. it Just, it ed, got edged out. Um, I, I, I agree with everything you said. Um, I think it's a great film. Uh, it is completely nostalgia-driven. Um, I think it's well-made though. I mean, it, it is. It does have a, a lot of the same similar beats as Rocky, but it does. It, it puts its own twist on them, which I enjoyed. Um, and, you know. Sylvester Stallone will probably win the the Oscar. I mean, all signs point that he's going to win the Oscar this year for for supporting actor. And um, they might. sort of us, though, you never know. They might. Uh, and they because I mean, last year a lot of signs were pointing to uh, Michael Keaton winning for Best Actor, and then uh, Eddie Redmayne kind of came in at the last minute there. But uh, it, it, it does look like he's going to be the one that wins this year. Um, and you know, you can look at that performance, and you could say, you know, was a lot of it kind of like based on, like, manipulation. I mean, yes, he gets cancer, and he gets sick, and a lot of that stuff is kind of... It can be read as kind of schmaltzy, and it is a little bit, but you, it, it still worked for me. You know, at the end of the day, it still worked for me, and, you know, at the very end of the movie, whenever, like, he, right before he goes in that final round, this is just such, like, screenwriting 101, like, cliche stuff. Right before he goes into the final round, he's like, you know, uh... <laughs> I, yeah you fight i fight you know (laughs) right and then i i when he says that like got a little dusty in the theater not going to lie got a little dusty yes. uh, but but it was i i, I love that movie it, it was really and
2: just, uh, and the apollo creed esque shorts that that also I was like yes. oh. oh god
1: <laughs> i marked out for that i, I did mark out the, there was like that movie just you know and, and you know this star wars and another movie that i'm going to talk about a little later or i'm sure most of us are uh they are all like these nostalgia films that are kind of bringing back a property that a lot of people, you know, weren't necessarily dead, but th- but they hadn't made a movie from them in a while. Um, and I'd say when all three movies were announced, they were – like I think they were met with a lot of skepticism. And I think those three films – and like, you probably guess what the third one is – were all kind of exceeded it expectations. And always-
2: um, I always feel like it goes back to the filmmakers. Look at the filmmakers. Look at the resume, and it, it goes a long way to you know showing me that with the right filmmaker at the helm, even if they have to put up with bullshit, like I said, I said earlier with JJ, because uh, I know he probably did. You know, talent is talent, and the cream always rises to the top, and these guys are going to get the job done.
1: Yeah, and do you guys think that um, back to that Oscar so white campaign? Do you think that Michael B. Jordan should have gotten nominated for an Oscar here? No. You don't think I, so?
2: I, I think I think the film is great i think he's the opposite of michael fassbender and and steve jobs i think michael fassbender did a great job but i think the movie's kind of lame and kind of kind of bad actually uh you know and and i love danny Boyle. i think he's a great filmmaker but i just think he kind of shed the bed a little bit just and i know he was doing something different because we already have the the fucking the the other we have like 10 fucking steve jobs movie about let's be real about it so um uh a couple things i gotta say about this film uh uh, yes, there was some hokey parts in it, but there were also there was a fine line between that and, and, and the realness of it. I love how the the love story wasn't a cliche love story, and it was right. actually it was actually there to enhance Adonis Creed because when he saw what this girl had to go through, it, it, it that was his motivation to keep going. You know what I'm saying? Like when he found out she was gonna go deaf, it's almost like that was his strength, uh, inclu- as was Rocky. So there was a, there was this whole theme about how we need other people to kind of remind us uh, to keep on fighting you know what i'm so so that that was that was uh, i thought that was pretty nice um uh but you know out of out of all the characters in that movie i thought adonis creed I, he did a great job don't get me wrong michael b jordan but you know when you compare him to the people that are nominated this year i don't think he was in their league
0: well i don't know about that i probably would put him over matt Damon. In The Martian, I don't know about but, um, you. But that's I, how I, I feel. I, I wouldn't put him over Matt Damon. Um, the one,
1: like honestly, I'd I'd put him over Eddie Redmayne in The Danish Girl because I thought I saw The Danish Girl, and it, he was good, but it just seemed a little, it seemed Oscar baity to me. And, I, and he was I, trying too hard. It, it was really, it was a really kind of like, hey, look at me doing a doing a performance, you know? So like, so like I would have I would have swapped him out for Eddie Redmayne, and honestly.
2: And do you guys think that when the uh, this is this is where I would think there's some sort of you know racist tendencies within the Oscars? It's not so much that they don't nominate black people. I think when they nominate a black person, a lot of the times it's because they're doing a, a character that's based on like you know slavery or whatnot. It, so it's almost like yeah, look at he overcame. The, you know what I'm saying? So there's there's like a subconscious thing going on there. Well, but,
1: uh, the last time black black actors were nominated at the Oscars, it was for Twelve Years a Slave.
2: Exactly, that was my <laughs> so, point. And, and so, and, yeah. and, and like, what about glory? That's another great example. That's the one I was thinking of when I when I was starting. Oh, talking. that's true. Yeah. So, so um, yeah. It's so it's almost like Hollywood is like, yeah, you know, it's almost like like the like this sarcastic pat on the back. That that's what I would be more insulted. I think I think at the end of the day, it, it's it's a lot of averages. I think unfortunately in Hollywood, there's more white actors or Anglo actors, and therefore it's gonna skew the average. And and you know, five of them are gonna. It's going to be hard for a black man to get in there, you know, and, and what you don't want to do. And, and this is something like a like a civil rights leader would say, you don't want a black. It's very insulting to have a black person nominated just because they're black. I wouldn't want that if I was fighting for that cause personally, because that's kind of insulting, even though that's the, like a big picture view of it, you know. Uh, so so I don't think there's no there's anything wrong with this year's list.
1: Uh, I did, I mean I, I'm not say, I, I just look at some of those some of those things like I just didn't really agree with some of them. I'm not saying that like um you know we should have had more black people or more um people of color in there just to put them in there. Right, but when I look right. at some of the people that were nominated, I was like, uh, eh, not, not no, really. But, but, like, but like Rachel I mean... McAdams in Spotlight. I love Spotlight, but Rachel McAdams for Best Supporting Actress. Oh, you're right. You're
2: like, right. There, I, I don't like, know. Like what did she yeah, do? In that movie? Like, I was kind of weird for
1: she, me. Too. I mean, she was good. She was competent, right? But, like, when I walked out of that movie, I didn't think, man, Rachel McAdams killed it. No, I thought Mark Ruffalo killed it. Ruffalo killed it. (laughs) I thought thought Michael Keaton killed it. I thought uh, Lee Schreiber killed it. I thought uh, – what's the dude's name who played – he's in everything. Um, He was the lawyer – what's his name? Oh, he's in every goddamn movie. Um, uh, (laughs) He he played the lawyer that, like, Mark Ruffalo is always bugging the – what is that actor's name?
0: You yeah, know I know who you're talking about. He's a oh,
1: character. Stanley Tucci? Stanley Tucci. I thought oh, he... Oh, fuck. but the guy, Stanley Tucci, of <laughs> course. How can you forget that? I no, I couldn't remember. He's, he's never in every goddamn movie. Uh, like, I thought... Hey, so, but then, you like, you Rachel McAdams, thought... was no, just saying, okay.
2: Yeah, for a while, I thought Stanley Tucci was the was the, was the prisoner in Bridge of Spies. He had me fooled there for a minute. No, not Stanley <laughs> Tucci. No, oh, that was another guy I was thinking. Never mind. But uh, I think the correlation here is more that the, 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 the uh, Oscar people made the wrong picks rather than, you know the correlation that oh we're not going to pick them because they're black. I think the people
1: no, no, are no. The- I don't I don't think that's I don't think that's a case. I agree. I don't think that they're sitting there like oh, on, you know what? I'm not going to nominate Malcolm Jordan because he's a he's a black guy. I don't think that's it. I think that it's I think it's just it's mostly white old white guys, right? It's it's the academy's filled with mostly old white guys and whether they're they're not being actively racist, but they're going to pick performances that they more identify with or they more you know yeah. like and I think that's all it was so that's human uh, nature that's just human nature that's just like. human right so I think like the, the what they did, announced I think this week or last week about how they're going to like add more minorities to the oh, academy okay. to try and diversify the poll the I mean that's a good move so um, now what we're
2: gonna have is we're gonna have five white guys and two uh, Hispanics and blacks
1: so yeah. now they're gonna do what they, what they
2: did with they with the with the with the movies you know they're gonna put like nine nominees now yeah right. <laughs> but the fine white people are still always going to be in the mix.
1: Yeah, they're always going to be there. But I, I do think out of anybody, I think if you you should have you should have put Del Toro in there for best supporting actor because he was amazing. Yeah, he you know, was. that was a great performance. He has like
2: two lines and yet it's all charisma. Yeah, like Tom Hardy in Mad Max.
1: And, and I will say, as many as many problem yeah right as many problems as I had with Sicario, like the final sequence with him and the when he goes to the drug lord's house, that was like. That was really good. Like that was really gripping stuff.
2: Yes, yeah, and I love the payoff too because it's it was a it's so kind of unconventional for Hollywood because you know in the Hollywood picture you would have somehow he would you know his morality would have come into play and you know he would have just like I don't know he, somehow they, he wouldn't have killed them because
1: he was kind of quote unquote the good but no he
2: fucking took them out and the kids.
1: Yeah, yeah I thought that was amazing. I, I I honestly didn't see that coming. I was like holy shit that actually surprised me. And I love
2: how at the end of the day, let's be real about it. That character had no redeeming value either. He he kind of he kind of uh, he's a killer himself. And there was, and there was a sense of tragedy to him too because uh, he was a I believe he was a doctor, you know. Uh, and, and so it's almost like the whole theme of the movie was like the system kind of made him into what he became. And then. What made his performance so amazing in Sicario was that he kind of he kind of had no soul through the entire movie. And I don't know if that's Benicio's face, because he kind of comes off like he has no soul in every movie. Yeah. To be honest with you, which is perfect casting. So I would give the, the casting director props. But I love the fact that in to the entire movie, this guy's walking around with no soul in his eyes, and that's kind of creepy. So yeah, man, it, good performance, and uh, maybe you're right. Maybe he should have been in there.
1: All right, Adolfo, what's your number four? Uh, my number four is Spotlight. Um uh, I thought this was uh honestly, I thought this is like the perfect Oscar kind of movie. Like it's it's a serious movie, it has a really good cast, it has a good story, it's well directed, it like it's all it, it like checks all the boxes that Oscar likes. But what I think is weird about this year's Oscars is that there's no clear front runner as to who's gonna win the best picture this year. Whereas last year, like you kind of the last year the year before, like you kinda of knew where it was going. But this year, like when I when I first saw this, I was like, Oh, this is gonna win the Oscar. But now that, like, the nominations have come out, and there just doesn't seem to be a clear winner. I still think this might pull it off. Um, but in general, I, I just – I thought this was a well-acted movie. I thought Ruffalo was amazing. I thought Michael Keaton was awesome. Um, and I thought Lee Shriver was really good in a performance that wasn't really showy. Like, he was really quiet and underplayed it a lot, but I thought he was really good. Um, the story is really engaging. It's, like, based on true events and things like that about the uh, – you know, the pre scandals in, you know, uh, that the Boston Globe uncovered in the, in the early 2000s. Um, but yeah, I just thought it was a well, uh, just a really well acted film uh, with a good story and just like kind of the perfect kind of like, you know, prestige movie. Right.
2: Yeah, I, I love I love the layers of the screenplay. So this is a very well written screenplay because it's just it, it's like an onion and you keep on you know it, the the conspiracy keeps on getting deeper and deeper <laughs> and, and, and in turn our, our heroes are getting more and more shit and they don't even know it. You know what I'm saying? So um I am always a sucker for those kind of movies and they just kind of they just stand hard by their by their beliefs. Um, you, you as a viewer, you get frustrated in some of these scenes, you know, just because of the way the, polit- the political movement is, you know, as far as protecting these priests. You know, there was that whole scene when they had a, when they had to pop out that big ass book with all the priests, pretty much in the entire what was it, world or country, and and they had to mix and match, you know, and so yeah, uh, and then you get to know the victims and their frustration and. And you know how how their lives were affected by this just just by a little moment in their lives, you know, when they were kids, mm-hmm. it, it pretty much ruined their entire lives going forward. Uh, and and so you know everybody brought something to the game. It wasn't like it wasn't like five news reporters are acting the same. Everybody had their own struggles with the story, you know. So um, yeah, it, it was great. And Mark Ruffalo just the little the you know he he's frustrated. He's angry. He the way he his body is moving with with with, with you know what I'm saying? it's just great performance so um i love this movie a lot
0: too yeah i think yeah, there's a uh, great movie there's a similar movie to this i feel that's on my list a little higher up but um i definitely did enjoy spotlight the performances was great the story was great it was very easy to follow mark ruffalo killed it michael keaton killed it like everything about the performances was awesome and i i hope i hope that uh Mark Ruffalo, oh, he's a supporting actor, right? No, R- I mean, Ruffalo's up for lead. He's up for lead? Yeah. And then who's in that category? Oh, well, I think Leo's going to, no, no, yeah. he's, in, he's up for supporting actor. Is he? Yeah, with Tom oh, Hardy, oh, Christian I'm, Bale, I'm sorry, Sly Alone, which I think Sly's going to get it, but it's like, well, right, I, I'd probably put this, uh, Mark Ruffalo as number a two. a performance to me.
1: I think, a, they,
2: I think they saw it as an ensemble uh, that film, but you're I guess, right.
1: I guess you're right. I guess you're right. But to me, he's the main character, him and and, and Keaton. But I guess Keaton's would be more of the supporting role, in my opinion. But whatever.
2: So, um, okay. So my number four is the movie I talked about this on this program that never really left me, as far as the impression it left me, and that's a documentary known as the Seven Five. Remember I told you about the yes, the, that's right. The, the priest in New York in the late seventies uh about this corrupt cop who um again this film is is much like i talked about spotlight just the layers that it goes into you know because the 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 documentary starts and i'm not going to spoil it because you guys haven't seen it but the documentary starts with another policing getting arrested and indicted blah 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 and then and then that that's just the first two minutes of the film and you're like what the fuck and then from there it, it tells you how the entire history of new york's police department has always kind of been corrupt, and, and they focus on this one guy, um, and so this guy, he they interview him in the documentary, and he's the cockiest mother, to this day, he's the cockiest motherfucker you've ever met, and he's telling the story, going all the way back to the beginning, all the way into how he finally got busted, you know, and it's just the, the, the twist and turns this documentary takes uh, about how he ascended the ladder working with the mob, and, and just, you know, just an amazing movie. Um, And then I love the fact that the director was able to get all the characters. You have former uh, enforcers, former gang members, uh, his partners who were all involved in the corruption. They're all talking about this guy. And what makes this guy incredible is that he's this little Italian guy who's like more more than five foot, four inches tall. But he's got fucking balls of steel, man. Because some of the scenarios that he found himself in were some of the close calls where he almost got busted. You know, it's just very intriguing and very no biting documentary and, um, it seems like he would always, he would always just fucking skin, he just get out of every situation. And, um, very tense. And so, uh, yeah, this documentary is called a Seven Five. Again, not a, you, people have to kind of stick out this movie, because it's not available, pretty much. It's kind of hard to find. I'm sure it'll end up on Netflix eventually, because this is our kind of movies yeah. that do end up on Netflix. And um, if people find it, they should check it out. I don't want to talk too much about it because it, it, it has a lot of little twists and turns and you guys haven't seen it. And I'm sure you guys probably see it one day. But uh, that is my number four. And I hope I hope whoever adapts it because I imagine there's going to be a movie one day. I could already picture it how it's going to go and it's going to be a great fucking movie.
1: You know, my, <laughs> my big regret this year is that I haven't seen, like, any documentaries. And I usually see a lot of documentaries, but I just didn't see any this year. So I'll I'll put that. To the top of my list for dogs that, that,
2: that, i went through a phase this year and that's been my thing i don't know why there's been a lot of great ones this year and and that, that i went through a little phase where i must have seen like 15 documentaries in a row just because that was my thing for a while and uh they, they sometimes they kind of uh you know they, they get the shaft a little bit which is funny because when you go film school you have to take a whole class just on documentary at least i did just on documentary so within the within the industry they're a very important part of filmmaking just because they're another form of filmmaking but i think the casual audience never really gives them any love
0: right um so moving on my uh my number three film is even though i've only seen it once i loved it enough to put it high on the list and that's the big short and the thing about this movie is, because it's kind of similar to Spotlight in, like, the story it's trying to tell. Like, it's a very serious story about the financial crisis of 2007, 2008. And what I really liked, other than the performances, you know, Christian Bale was great. Steve Carell was great. Um, the uh, thing that really struck out to me about was the filmmaking style, the storytelling style of this film. Whereas, you know, when you hear about all these like subprime mortgages, and you hear all about these COAs or whatever they're called, CDAs. brother, i like, you are just what, sitting
2: there. I'll tell you what, I I didn't feel, I, I haven't felt more dumber and stupider than when I watched this. First. Right, that's <laughs> the I, thing. I, I didn't know what the fuck was going on, and they even explained it with, uh, you know, like you said, you're gonna talk about the gimmicks
0: they used to explain it. It didn't matter because I was lost a couple times. Because it's it's really easy to like watch a film like that, you know, not understand what what's going on, and then the way they explained it. It's very easy to, to think that maybe talking down to you with how they explain it. But, no, they made it very fun and very relatable. <laughs> they even brought in celebrities and, and these weird gimmicks like Margot Robbie in a tub and uh, Selena Gomez at the blackjack table. And it was, like, really fun gimmicks that actually help explain what's going on because, you know, you're living through this. I mean, I lived through this. I mean, it didn't really matter to me because I was still only in college at the time. It, it mattered to it's me. But like, it affected I, I, a lot of people. It did, like
1: It did because it, like, pretty much collapsed the, the Wall Street. And I remember right. when it happened, uh, I mean, it didn't affect my job, but uh, I, the, where I was working at the time, like, after that big crash, they laid off, like, 10% of our company. And, like, a lot, of, I saw a lot of friends lose their job. So, like, right. yeah, it's, um, it's,
0: it's, it's messed yeah, up. I remember the stories, too, like especially when Bear Stearns and Lehman Brothers collapsed. And then this was right in the middle, too, like, right before the presidential election, this all happened. So, like, you know, everybody was scrambling, and the whole bailout happened. But it's still, like... At it, at its core, I still like, as a person didn't understand, like, what really was behind all this, like, the technical terms. And this film really explained it all to me, and I came away with a better understanding of the crisis, and it just made me angry. Uh, So I I was angry at the end, not because of the film itself, but because of the story of the film, and that, you know, this is real life, and that's what what the banks got away with in the end, and it's just, it makes your blood boil.
1: I, I really, I really actually did enjoy this movie, um, a lot. Uh, I I, like, I thought this was. I thought it had a really fun cast. I thought Christian Bale was funny as like kind of like this Asperger's genius, that, and that I like Steve Carell in this movie as like the kind of guy that's bordering about like on rage. He, he's and, re- he's
2: re- he's really the moral compass that we're supposed to hang on to, and he I thought he, he did a good job with it.
1: I did, and my my wife says is, is like like she's like you probably relate to this character the most. I'm like yeah, I do. It's kind of how I go through life is just kind of always being pissed off at like injustices, uh, and not being able. To do anything about it uh i thought brad pitt was kind of funny as this like ocd like guy who's always washing his hands kind of yeah you know, like, um i thought yeah, just a pretty strong cast overall the only kind of real criticism i have is like as much as i enjoyed the brad pitt character i thought his subplot with those two dudes was not really needed i thought it kind of distracted from the main story um but in in but in general i thought this was a pretty uh, that's a pretty entertaining movie
2: well, I thought, I thought they were needed. I, I agree with you that they were the weakest part of the movie, but I thought they were needed because the actual movie was about these three group of people. And essentially, if I that haven't seen it, it it's, I don't want to say it's an anthology film because the stories, they're kind of interspliced together, but it is three different stories going on at the same time about how the, these three, uh, or four, but the three particular stories with four people uh, ended up finding out a loophole before anybody else about how you could cash in on the, on the collapse of the stock market and it kind of shows their struggles trying to make the which is kind of a weird psychology because it's it's showing you their struggles, how they fucked everybody over, but somehow the, the, the part
0: of the story that's focused on is their struggles to do it, which is wacky. Um, and so, yeah, like like the like a very poignant scene is near the end when uh, Ryan Gosling gets that check for like forty seven million dollars, and he's sitting there, he's like, I know, I see you there staring, judging me, you know, but I didn't tell you I was the hero of the story anyway, so
2: yeah. And so, and there really was no heroes. And I do love how um, Christian Bell's character, like, you know, from, from, a, from a morality payoff or his storyline card, you know, yeah, he had all that money and then you, you end up seeing the total at the end when he writes it down. But the way they shot that, that scene and with him being by himself, he did chase a lot of people out of his life and he's pretty much alone. With all that money and, and you know the way he acted and performed in that scene you could tell that at the end of the day he did lose and same thing of course with uh with steve corral's character who kind of had to flush his dignity down the toilet even though he tried so hard not to and he also kind of lost in the end the only ones that really have no redemption are the two dudes but uh you know again that was the weaker part of the story but even even brad pitt's character understands all this and towards the end even he kind of he, he just can't fucking believe it he's like fuck and, and yeah, And so um, th- th- there is that. So I like this.
0: Go ahead. I was gonna say like the scene where he's yelling at the at the two guys who are dancing because they able to buy all these like credit swaps. He's like, you know, what you're doing, you're betting against the American economy. And if you win, people lose their jobs, people lose their homes, and it's like, you know, I don't want I don't want to see you fucking dance. You know, so yeah. that's what that really got to me too.
2: One 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 of the one of the key things that I took away from the movie and and, and you know studying human behavior, you know, I have a degree and all that, it it, it it kind of it just kind of resonated what I already know. Sometimes in life we put our trust in certain institutions to kind of take care of us, but remember they're human beings too and they're gonna fuck it up. There's that there's that great scene in the in the bar mm-hmm. where Steve Carroll's talking to the other guy and he's telling him about. Uh, you could uh, uh, pretty much buy what doesn't exist, and now I'm simplifying it, folks. That's what I got out of it. You could, <laughs> yeah. you could pretty much buy what doesn't already exist, and Steve Carroll's mind is blown. He's like, "What the fuck? You know, like, like, like and that's the. Simple, like you, like, you motherfucking motherfuckers. <laughs> yeah, like, and so and so to me, it's like. Just, just, just again, in, in a more minor uh, example, like if a doctor tells you something, it doesn't necessarily make it. So you got to go get other, you know. Sometimes we put our trust in certain institutions, and they don't have the best interest for us. So we got to use our own brain and mind, and kind of, kind of take care of ourselves in this world because you know, the, there, there, there is negligence and there is incompetence in, in, people with of higher stature than us that that we give our trust in. So that was one of the big lessons that I took out of this movie. And, and so, um,
0: yeah, the performances were all spot on as well. All right, so I guess uh, Dolpho can go with his number three then. Uh, my number three is a movie I actually
1: just saw last night, and after I watched it, I had, it just went right to the top of my list here. Uh, it's Room. Um, this movie was dark, and it screwed me up. I was up all night thinking about it. Uh, for those who, who don't know anything about it, it's about it's it's kind of like two movies. Uh, the first half is this woman uh, and her child who were kind of – Imprisoned by this kind of creepy uh this creepy dude that's just keeping him there like he he you know he kidnapped the the woman uh when she was younger and it just just make, keeps her as a sex slave and then uh you know the she had this boy uh that she gave birth to throughout you know after this and then the, she kind of is trying to keep her sanity and keep him kind of protected from from the world and then she finally kind of stages an escape she she, she, she her and the child actually the the boy is able to, and it's not a spoiler. You see it in the trailer. The boy is able to escape, uh, and then and eventually she gets out. And then the rest of the movie is just her trying to kind of deal with life after being held hostage for I think it's like seven years or something like that. Um, and it's uh, it's just kind of a fascinating movie. I thought the I, you know uh, Brie Larson who plays the the woman um, I forget the name of the character, but uh, she's um, uh, she's up for best actress. A lot of people think she's going to win. Um, I I haven't seen enough of the other performances to say whether or not she she deserves it over the other performances. But she certainly, on its own merit, it's an excellent performance. Um, the <laughs> the the kid can get on your nerves a little bit <laughs> whenever they're in the room. Yeah. Uh, but it, but it's certainly um it, it, it's certainly like just when you kind of stop and think about like the situation that they're in, you kind of forgive it. Uh, it, it's just you know even though the movie has. I don't want to say it's an uplifting ending, but it's not necessarily a down ending. Like it's still like just a really dark, depressing kind of movie, and and I'm just kind of surprised that it's getting this much awards attention because I feel like it's the kind of movie that would have slipped under the radar.
2: You know, th- this is the kind of movies that I'm exposed to a lot as far as like, because this movie is kind of a it's weird because it has B movie qualities to it. If that makes any sense, like I think if you if. If you if you would have added a little more gore and maybe a little more of uh, you know action sequences, it would have been one of those video on demand movies that I watch every week. You know the, the, you know but but this movie had, had, was a little more artsy and obviously Brie Larson's performance kind of brought it up a notch. Um, I I do love again like you said there's two movies the second half is my favorite part because it deals with the psychological trauma, you know and, and how uh, the family's frustrated with her because she can't really she can't really cope with real life anymore and it goes back to the experience they've done on, on on people that've been in prison for you know 15 years 20 years and when they come out it's almost like they want to go back to prison because that's the life they know
1: you know Well, the little they even addressed that with the little boy the little boy keeps asking when they're going to go back which right. I thought was really interesting like it's just um it's a, it's it's you know and you're right like when they're in the room there's not a lot of like you know, thriller aspects to it, where I think another movie would have like kinda hyped up the tension there, right? Yeah. Um, and they would have like, you know, one I mean let's face it, she's having sex against a real. So the so the guy's raping her pretty much on a nightly basis. But they don't show it. Like another movie probably would have shown it and like shown her tears and shown her like, you know, checking out mentally and all but it just it's it happens off camera and like you just know it's happening. And I thought that was like a good touch. You know, it, it's uh, it, it, i I do like that when they're in the room it's not like the horror uh, thriller movie aspect that you kind of Right, I love that, I,
2: that well, that's what I'm saying like, it could have easily turned into yeah, that, like easily and and, and so um uh, again to me the the real drama in the movies after she leaves I also love the fact that they were really focus on this on this guy the one that, that took her for seven years um
1: yeah know, he doesn't he doesn't get that much screen time.
2: No, and, and, and so, and even even when they finally escape, it's so kind of like matter of fact or even blase, you know, that's a term I could use, like, he kind of just runs away when he sees the kid's going to kind of get him in trouble once he, once he starts kicking and screaming, and then that's pretty much it for him, we never really see him again, because then he goes, I guess he goes home and he takes off, because later on they go back to that little shack, and uh, he's not there anymore.
1: Yeah. So which is yeah,
2: this, which is kind of scary in a way because he's still out there. They never catch this guy. Actually, they do catch him though. They do. Oh, okay, okay.
1: They, but they, but they, the, here's the thing. It's another is another reason they is a different movie than most is that, it's like it's like they're watching TV and then there's like a there's like a news story mention of like a suspect has been captured in the blah 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 case and then that's it. Like you don 't see him like being arrested, you don 't right. see him in handcuffs you know it's it just kind of like you hear it for like three seconds when she 's watching the news, and then it's like uh, and then it's just like the scene goes on to something else. Uh, I just think it 's kind of amazing that the movie is nominated for a best picture because it doesn 't seem like a best picture contender like that it 's not like an oscar movie that 's why I think it 's so kind of odd that it 's in there, but I really, really enjoyed it it 's really um uh, it's it's a different kind of it's a, it's different than what you you normally used, be used to, but I think it's really worth the watch.
2: Yes, I agree with you, and I, lo- I love the ending too, where the, you know the symbolisms there of like just trying to move past it by going to the place that you know you were traumatized and just trying to come to terms with it, and that's pretty much where the movie ends.
0: Yeah, I, I really I really like that, and we get I definitely, we get, definitely looking forward to this one though because I know it's uh it's nominated for the uh, for best picture going to be part of the showcase so with these movies i kind of want to see them once before the showcase that way everything when i go see it is the second viewings i can kind of better digest like the performances that are just focusing on like you know what you see the first time i just like basically the story pretty much everyone
1: every like you know the people who talk about like these things think that she's winning the oscar
2: so pretty much when the revenant comes on that's where you're going to go to sleep right mark
0: <laughs> it depends on what time. Because I hope
2: I hope they don't, yeah. hope they don't uh, start start off with that one. I would like to put. That well, I don't have
0: the schedule. Yeah, I could probably look it up if it's been released. But I don't. I wouldn't put that like at one a.m. because mm-hmm. everyone's gonna fall asleep. Anyway. <laughs> so, do people actually stay up the whole time? I don't think I, I stayed up do. the whole time.
2: But uh, what I... about what about the people around you? They actually like pass out, right? They go to sleep. Some of them.
0: Well, it's kind of hard to tell during the movie. But like when it ends, <laughs> every, the people around me seems to be awake. Because you know they have like the five hour energy they take or like Red Bull. Like I tried to do Red Bull, my body can't handle it, so I'm gonna do five hour energy from now on. <laughs> it, but... it
2: just seems like such a long day. I try to do the uh, the Friday the Thirteenth marathon they had over here at the New Beverly, and that that killed me, man. I I, I think I made it to like seven in the morning, and then I had to come home. I just couldn't do it. <laughs> but uh, so okay, so we're now we're now we're at my number three, right? Yes. Right. So my number three would be The Kingsman, The
0: Secret Service. Wow. I, wow. I, I forgot about that one. I love
2: that movie. and,
0: and yeah, it, I like it, too. That's, like, that's a great movie.
2: Not the best movie, but uh, a fun movie. And again, to me, you know, it's the movies that leave me with an impression is what I like to put on my list. You know, I try not to get too snobby with the, you know, with the actual entire picture of it. Just this movie, when I saw it, I saw it about almost a year ago. I saw it in February, and here I am a year later still thinking about it, and it left me with such a big impression just because of the performances. Um, I love the fact that everybody's so likable in this movie. Um, Matthew Vaughn, who directed this movie, you know, he's got, a, he's got a pretty good resume. Not the greatest resume, but okay. And uh, it just reminded me of one of those Guy Ritchie movies when he was in his prime, not the, not the hack that he became later, just, you know, the lock stock guy, the, the, the snatch guy, those, those those kind of films. And um, the writing was good. I like how it was kind of, in the beginning, it was kind of like that teeny boppy, kind of like, um, like Maze Runner kind of movie, which I also liked, too, by the way. Um, and then it kind of got darker as the movie progressed. You know, uh, Samuel L. Jackson did a great job as the villain. He he was he was hamming it up a little bit, but that's what you're gonna get when you hire him for anything nowadays. Um, you know, I thought Michael Kane as your as your villain uh, twist at the end was a pretty clever idea. Uh, uh, Mark Strong, who shows up in everything, was also very good. Uh, He's and the British po-
1: Stanley Tucci. <laughs>
2: And of course, uh, Colin Firth, who, who I love seeing in this picture, only for the reason that he just—it just felt like he didn't have to take the whole fucking picture on his shoulders, like he does with every other movie where he has to always bring his sagan. He was having fun right here, and with these kind of actors, what I like is that when they're having fun, even when they're hamming it up, they, they're so great at what they do that it still elevates the entire script. And I love to see those kind of actors. That's why I like to see this kind of like dignified actors, kind of have fun, whether it's being a comic book villain or whatever, because they're just having a good time, you know, and, and, and they're so talented that they're still going to raise up the script no matter what. So, um, yeah, man, I love this movie. Uh, um, you know, obviously the church scene is the famous scene. The that, church that,
1: scene that. is so much fun. That, that's oh, so definitely. F- that,
2: I don't know how the fuck Matthew Vaughn did that. Cause even if you're doing it in real time, that must've taken days cause it's just so many setups. So the, 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 choreography was, was amazing. Um, and that's the kind of thing that if you want to go back and really be a, a fan of it, you know, you go back and play it in real time or whatever, you see all the wackiness going on. Cause there's so much going on in that, in that scene alone. Uh, the twist with Colin Firth's character, well, you know, when, you know, he doesn't make it out of the film, folks, I already tell you that. Uh, you know, the, I thought the lead character, the, the, the youngster, he did an amazing job. And I would love to see more of these films because I kind of felt like, okay, now this is an origin story. Now I want to go along for the, for the other ride, you know. He, he, he kind of morphed into kind of like this young James Bond character towards the end. And uh, the, the comedy was really good. I, I loved the, the whole thing at the bar where, where you know, they, they set it up in the beginning of the movie. Then at the end of the movie, they go back with those guys that are trying to punk him out. Um, so it it's it's a, it's a the, the little gag with the with the umbrella so so many great things about <laughs> it. so many fucking great things about this film really went under the radar unfortunately but it's just an amazing time and um I'm going to I'm going to give it another watch I think it's been my my fourth time watching it it's just a great movie and then I also love that 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 James Bond's villain that grow with
0: the, with the, with those wacky you know the knife fucking feet and stuff you know Yeah the, bro she, that, I mean after I put... Completely she, forgot about that movie. That's definitely an honorable mention. She had she had like blades as feet, which is weird. Yes. And, and um. And so, Samuel L.
2: Jackson, bro, hand me it up. Yeah, with the lisp, he gave himself a lisp for this one for no yeah. reason. Uh, so yeah, it was a great movie. I like that's my number three.
1: Yeah, this was this was that was a really fun movie. Um, it's it, it's it's an honorable mention for me, but uh, but uh, it's it was one of the better action movies of the year, certainly. Yes. So, uh, Mr. Mark, you're
0: number two. All right, so not, now not, with my number,
2: as, as Gorilla Monsoon would say, now we're getting down to the nitty gritty.
0: <laughs> so with my number two, my number one, I'm actually kind of like back and forth on which is which right now. So the the one that I'm gonna say now is not necessarily my number two; it could be my number one, but that could change between now and uh, Oscar night. So right now, the one I have a number two, even though it's not really number two. It's the hateful eight. Like that seventy millimeter presentation of that film is so gorgeous. I was marking out the whole time from the overture all the way to the end, and it was just a, a great story. You know, Quint Tarantino, um, great performances. Kurt Russell, especially Jennifer Jason Lee, freaking Channing Tatum coming out of nowhere giving us a great scene. performance. That that scene. Samuel L. Jackson with that wacky storytelling, <laughs> and, uh, freaking even uh, Bruce Dern. Yes. Uh, was great. Yes. And what's 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 the guy Walter Goggins? Walter Another Goggins, great guy. Oh, I that guy was a character, bro. I love that dude. <laughs> bro, what a great experience, just from top to bottom. Even I was marking out the intermission too. It's just you know Walter seventy millimeters the way to go. Definitely try to see it. I don't think you can anymore, but hopefully they release that version on the Blu-ray.
1: You know Walton Goggins uh, is fun. It's funny because like all the press went to Samuel L. Jackson and Kurt Russell, but he's the real MVP of that movie. Like he's the one that holds it together, and I love, I, I love, I, he's my favorite performance in that movie.
2: I think, I think he has the biggest arc in the entire movie because he, he kind of, he's the one that has the actual arc, as you know, as far as you know, uh, fundamental writing. Um, he, you know, he, it's what they tell you in film school. The way that, the way the protagonist starts in the beginning has to be different than, you know, he has to change at the end. You know, he has to go an arc, and I think he's the one that does it. I love this film for a lot of reasons, a lot of reasons. I didn't put it in my top five because I was sure one of you two were going to do it anyway, so I just felt like I wanted to, you know, talk about other movies. But, um, this was also one of my favorites of the year. I love the fact how it starts off, man, so many, first of all, it's original as fuck as far as the structure, not the story, the structure, which is the Tarantino staple. I'm starting to notice that Tarantino writes everything like a novel. It's he, 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 The way he pays his films, he, he uses a three-act structure because you really can't get away from it, but Everything's written almost like a novel. All his films, when I think back to them, are, are structured almost like a novel format. And so, here I love the fact that first you're thinking it's a, it's a Kurt Russell movie, but no, it's not a Kurt Russell. Then you're thinking it's a Sam Jackson movie, which it kind of right. still is. But I think at the end of the day, it's a Walton Goggins movie. I think it's his movie. I think I think he's the one that you know at the end of the day when you see it a second time you're because you know everything already you follow his character and you follow him throughout the entire movie because he's the one he, if you notice he's the one that's that's in the most danger right without actually kind of like having any fault for anything. And, 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 right. and obviously, the, the irony of all of this, which is funny, is that he's the only motherfucker telling the truth the entire That's time. That's exactly what I was going to say, bro.
0: <laughs> like, the whole time, you're kind of wondering, like, what's this guy's deal? Like, you're suspicious of him when he was actually legit the whole time. <laughs>
2: uh, I do love how they explain the, the, you know, what happened before in Chapter 5, I believe, is when you get the what happened moments before... With Channing Tatum. Yes. Yeah. And because that explains... Bruce Dern's character. If you go right. back to watch it a second time, you start getting all the little details of why Bruce Dern is acting the way he is because he's he's freaked the fuck out. You know, He just saw something that he wasn't expecting to see and now he has to kind of keep his cool.
0: He's caught uh, in the middle now.
2: Yeah, and so I respect Bruce Dern's performance because he didn't have a lot of lines or a lot of screen time, but when he is on film, even in the background, he, his facials are, are, you know, he's worried, he's scared, he's tripping out, he doesn't know what the fuck's going on. Uh, and, and you get all the answers to that when you see it a second time. And of course, seeing it a second time, not only do you get the answers to Bruce Dennis, Bruce Dern's character, you also get everything about all the little setups of the, the jelly bin on the, on the floor, you know, the coffee being kind of stale, all that stuff kind of comes to light later on. So, um, it, it was, it was a great fucking movie. The performances were amazing. Um, you know, uh, Jennifer Jason Leigh, th- I think she hit fucking shit out of the park, especially at the final scene, which is on the floor trying to convince uh, um, uh, the- Walton Goggins to kind of, you know, betray Sam Jackson's char- uh, character. And-, and so I thought she also I'm glad she got nominated for an
1: Oscar. Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad she got nominated for an Oscar, too. I, I really enjoyed this movie um it, it's prob- it, it did make my top ten it, did, it didn't make my top five but uh it, it's it, what i uh, first of all that the seventy millimeter if it if this one if this movie doesn't win anything at the academy awards except for one i hope it gets cinematography because that movie was was so goddamn gorgeous to look at um but it it, it, it was probably even though it's not in my top five it was probably the most fun I legitimately had in the theater, like his the most fun theater experience I had the, this year. Um, and let me ask you guys a question. So I agree with everything you said. Walton Gog- it's, it's Walton Goggins' movie. But in the scene right before the intermission where uh, Samuel L. Jackson uh, uh, shoots Bruce Dern. he's telling that tall tale. He's telling that tale. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I want, because I've had this discussion with several people, is he telling the truth or is he just fucking with him to provoke him? Uh, I thought he was just fucking with him.
2: I think, honestly. I think, I think, with everything being equal and, well, and the entire theme of the movie, which is you can't trust anybody, right? Uh, I think he was lying.
1: So do I. Exactly. But I've had a lot of people say, well, I don't like the fact that he was like that he did that. So I was like, no, what are you kidding? Like, no, he was messing with him because he because he heard earlier that if he would have shot him in cold blood, he would have been in, you know he would have been in trouble. So he provoked him to get a response, so just so he could kill him.
2: And I also love the fact that you know people always say, well, you know the Walton Goggins character he took it too lightly. Here's the deal, folks: is that you're not paying attention. He was the sheriff. His whole deal was that's why he didn't shoot a uh, uh, Michael Madsen or uh, Joe Gage because Joe Gage because he, because <laughs> that, that's the thing about about Walton Goggins character is that his morality would not allow him to shoot uh, Samuel L. Jackson because Samuel L. Jackson and Samuel L. Jackson, man, his movie's so fucking great. Sam Jackson knew that before he he provoked Bruce Dern because. He, he knew that he couldn't just shoot him in cold blood because there was a sheriff there that would have either killed him or arrested him. And, and, and then there was also a hangman there, which Kurt Russell reminded us about 30 times. Uh, no, actually, uh, uh, Tim Ross was a hangman, or, or so we thought. And so, and so at a deeper level, you know, when, when I feel like I feel, this is the interpretation I got, when, when Bruce Dern went for the revolver to shoot Sam Jackson, at that point, he lost all credibility with Warren Goggins being a, a man of the law, and, and Sam Jackson just had to do what he had to do, and that was defend himself. That's why, you know, in the beginning, yeah, he, he looks up to him. He gives him the – what a great performance by Wonga. He gives him the, the his covija, as we call it, you know, <laughs> to, to his blanket. And so, you know, it, it's it, – I, I know the fact when, when Bruce Stern finally dies to take him out, he jacks his jacket and he throws it on. And he has it on for the rest of the movie. That wacky general jacket he had on, he just throws yeah. it on himself. Uh, and so, you know, love the, love the performances. I will say that Michael Madsen was, in, was really – he wasn't used to his full potential. He's hardly even in it, to be honest. Even though he's, his presence is there, he's hardly even in it. Um, yeah, I would agree with that. I thought Bob was another under- – I thought Bob did a great performance as the Matt,
1: Damian Damien Bashir was hilarious.
2: Yes, he Yes. Was. Yes. Uh, uh, he he must have called Sam Jackson mi, mi negro amigo about 100 times. During that entire movie. <laughs> <Because it> just, <laughs> just, I just love what?
1: that. I just love that over the over the top Mexican accent that he used the whole movie. It was just, it was just right. hilarious. And I love, well, I love I love Timmy Roth and the over the top British guy. Yeah.
0: So.
2: Uh, um, and his name was uh, his name was Oswaldo All right. Now, if I'm anybody in the hateful eight, I'm thinking there's shenanigans here because I'm looking at Tim Roth and I'm looking at the name Oswaldo Mambre,
1: <laughs> and I get, and, and
2: I get, and I guess Sam Jackson kind of cleared that plot hole because Sam Jackson said that the real Oswaldo Mobre is probably in a ditch somewhere already dead, which is how they covered that plot hole of how how he had the the the, the what do you call it the paperwork and the and the business card saying he was Oswaldo Mabray. But um, I would I would have called shenanigans on the spot because I'm thinking that's not you know a, a, a guy with a British accent. Being called
0: Oswaldo Mago. Wald- <laughs> Oswaldo.
1: Do you think? Do you think like <laughs> when I when I first watched that movie, I wondered if I, there was a part of me that wondered if that part was supposed to go to um, Chris- Christoph Christ-Wal- Waltz because it just seems like a part written for Christoph Waltz.
2: Possibly, but I don't like. He's been getting. I don't like how Tim Roth's being. They're the kind of a second rate Christoph Waltz. Some of the critics have said no, that. No, no, no. A-
1: that's not what I. No, I don't think he is. I just think that it seemed like that part was written for him, and no, it looks. Of yeah. I
2: agree with you. But uh, to me, Tim Roth was Tim Roth before Christoph Waltz was... Because Tim Roth has always acted like that, especially in those snobby roles he gets like that because he is British, you know? And if you don't believe me, watch Reservoir Dogs and see how many times that British accent slips oh, that, up. Oh,
1: that British accent.
2: <laughs> There's a scene in Reservoir Dogs where he says the word Lost Boys as in the movie Lost Boys, and he cannot say that fucking word to save his life, and Quentin just left that take in there where he, where he turns British again just for that word Lost Boys. Um... So yeah, yeah, it's 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 man, there's not no no good. It's just a great film. Um, I saw I saw both of them already. I've seen the 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 one that's out now in theaters. It's actually cut. It's cut. He actually cut a little bit of it, but he also used different angles for certain scenes. So I don't know if he's gonna double dip us on the Blu-ray or what, but um, it's
0: two different versions of the movie. (laughs) <laughs> the, 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 i don't know if i want to i don't know if i want to see that version I, I, like the 70 millimeter kind of spoiled me so i don't think i could see the other version the, the one that's out in theaters now in digital it's it's actually like two hours
2: and like like 40 minutes oh you
1: know? and and we, we didn't get to talk about this but my the my my screening like jesus christ that that when when you give like a pimply 14 year old teenager uh, <laughs> uh, the opportunity to actually project real film Boy, are they going to fuck it up because like the – during the overture at the beginning, it was like they loaded it wrong. So like the bottom half was on the top. And the top half was on the bottom for like three or four minutes. And then they finally – they stopped it and corrected it. But they it was never quite right because like for the rest of the movie, like you saw like that li- – like a tiny little sliver of the top on the very, very bottom. Like it, it, was, it didn't distract anything, but it was there. It was like you guys don't know what you're doing, do you? So, so, so um, Tarantino,
2: you know, he, he owns the New Beverly Cinema, which I frequent a lot. And he, ha- he has this contest, which started on January 2nd, right? It's called the Tarantino 8. A- well, what an egomaniac, this guy, now that I think about it. It's called the Tarantino 8 Challenge, which I've been putting on social media when I go. Um, essentially, what happens is that in eight weeks, every Friday at midnight, you have to watch every single one of his movies, one a week. So I started with Reservoir Dogs, and right now, tomorrow, I believe, is Kill Bill Volume 2. And he gave you he gave us a punch card, you know. And then every time you go to the movie, they they punch your card and also they they put your name in a book so you can't cheat. And then if you finish the entire a, uh, Tarantino eight challenge, at the end you're gonna get treated to a private screening of uh, uh, Kill Bill: The Whole Bloody Affair. And he's gonna feed you. And there's there's rumors that he's gonna be there. So we'll see what happens. But
0: I'm holy just like, shit, bro. Yeah. So
2: um. So it, it's hard though because remember this is an eight week, this is a two month commitment every Friday at midnight. So I've had those like cancel yeah. shit. But what what the cool thing about that is that it's kind of brought out a lot of cinephiles in LA, and I've kind of made a lot of new friends just hanging out with them, you know, outside of the theater or whatever, and just talking movies and stuff. It's it's pretty cool. And so yeah, I, I'm I'm about halfway, and um, we still got the entire month of February, and, and we'll see how it goes. I hope I don't fuck it up, cause I'm gonna be very very disappointed if I do. But it, it's not an easy challenge to do, cause it, it's really a two month commitment.
0: Bro, I've been hearing about that supercut of Kill Bill for like almost ten years, and I've always wanted to see it, but it's never come out like in the US. It's always it's come out in Japan, I think, but that's it.
2: Yeah, yeah. I think I think he trims a little bit of it. I think he adds like just different angles to certain scenes, but and I think the the House of Blues fall scene, I think it's all in color. That's the rumor I heard. I remember, yes,
0: that's, I heard about that. So too.
2: so other than, you know, so I'm looking forward to it. But you know, it's something cool to do, you know, and, and it gives it gives me something to do fri- on Friday nights. But it's, it's 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 kind of been fun and uh. Well, see, the, the hard part is those three-hour movies, man, because, like, Django and, like, Inglorious Bass. Remember, we start at midnight, so we're not getting out of there till like, 3, 4 in the morning sometimes. Yeah. And then it's cool because he throws on these, like, remember back when, when I, I don't know if you're too young for this, Mark, but when me and Adolfo used to go to the movie theaters back in the day, there used to be cartoons before the movie, you know, like a, like a Mary Melody's cartoon or, like, mm. a... Oh, wow. And so, you know, he'll throw a couple of those on before he throws. Of, <laughs> of course. So, you know. So it
0: makes it even longer that you're there. Yeah.
2: And then also another thing he does is that he throws trailers of old movies from the people that are going to star in the movie he's, gonna, he's, gonna, he's about to show. Oh. And the gimmick is that it's a 35 millimeter film. He has no digital projection in his theater. So everything is yeah. on 35 millimeters.
1: Yeah he's a real he's a real nerd for that stuff so I, actually, I I I really want to go if I'm ever out there I want to go just see him it, like it doesn't even matter what I would I'd want to watch a movie there.
2: Right, and 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 the thing is that he ended up because JJ
1: Abrams, he made one
2: copy. He kept one copy for himself of a thirty five millimeter print of, print of the Force Awakens. And Quinn's trying to get him to borrow, let him borrow that cup copy so he could screen it at, at his theater. So if he does, I'm definitely gonna go. Cause to me, if you shoot a movie on film, it should be projected on film. Cause that's the best possible. That's gonna look the best. Cause that's what it was shot on. And Force Awakens was shot on, on film. So I could just imagine how beautiful it's gonna look if we get to see it on 35 millimeter film. Yeah. So you know, I'm happy that he actually kept one copy instead of all these digital projections that are on every theater now. Yeah, I like that they're still keeping that
0: alive. You know, that's. There's a, there's, very, there's very digital. few
1: filmmakers that are still shooting on film. Like I know Tarantino does, I know Christopher Nolan does, but they're a dying breed. Yeah, but it's mostly the studios pushing for it because it's cheaper. It's, it's cheaper, cheaper, exactly. It's cheaper. Like the only people getting away with it are people like big directors with a huge track records. Like anybody else, they're they're probably telling them, no, you're shooting on film and you're gonna like or you're shooting on digital and you're gonna digital. like it. Yeah,
2: yeah, but film is dying because Tarantino said that. I think Kodak was. They had to literally beg them to keep that fucking, you know, that company open and, and keep on producing film stock like that because it is a dying industry. And, uh, they, and they were supposed to shut
0: down last year, and they did a statement about how, like, you know, like people like Tarantino and J.J. Abrams kept them alive.
1: Right.
2: And so, um, you know, we'll see what happens. But um, and, when i go ahead, and,
1: you know, and, and, and so, Mark, you when you did your film
0: school, did you shoot on
1: film or did you shoot on digital?
0: I started on film, and then we have to do our project on digital. Okay. Because that picture, that first picture that I put up, will be behind the camera. That's a actual film camera. Yeah. Not a so, digital one.
1: Yeah. So I, I when I when I did film school like a f- hundred years ago, uh, they didn't have digital. So we we did everything on film, and it's it is a painstaking process. Oh. So, yeah. <laughs> so and it and it's really really freaking expensive, but like. I just appreciate it more because it was so hard to do, and it is much more difficult to light for and everything yes. so like
0: I to me like I'm just much more appreciative of it so like there was one Saturday bro we spent like three hours just practicing how to put the film in the camera yeah, it like, is hard it's
1: fucking hard exactly yeah you gotta get it on the shutter
0: door yeah I'm not anti digital i
1: mean because because of digital it's a discipline but yeah but because of digital filmmaking has like is, has opened the door for, like, zero-budget movies to, like, be made and, like, more filmmakers to, like, be able to be seen, right? So I'm not anti-digital, but it's just I, – I, it really saddens me that it's a dying art.
2: Yeah, yeah. When I was in film school, I was, that was uh, 2006, so I had the choice. I remember they gave us a choice. I guess I, I was right there in the – like, in between the, the change. And so I did, I did a Super 8 movie, and then I did a, a digital movie. Because I wasn't buying I 60mm, I didn't have that kind of
0: money, shit, that's expensive. Yeah, for us, just for like a two hour roll, is like 50 bucks, like yeah. come on bro. Yeah,
1: so. yeah we, we shot on 60mm and it was like our 8 minute, no, I think it was like a, yeah, it was like an 8 minute film, uh, all said and done, cost us like close to $900, for an yeah. 8 minute movie. <laughs> that's nuts bro. <laughs>
2: And I did a horror movie, so I still had to go out and buy props and blood. Yeah, props,
0: yes. And, you know, all
2: kinds of heads and hands and limbs and all kinds of shit. But it was fun, though. I'll never forget those at that time. So you get to meet a lot of cool people.
0: Yeah, the
1: people I still talk to also. So um,
0: so, we're right, at, so, we're, we're, so that was your number two. Number two. It's awful, number
1: two. My number two, I'm going to keep it brief because we talked. We did a full review on it earlier in the summer. My number two is Inside Out. Uh by far the best kids movie of the year. Uh and you know as i said uh having having a a daughter this year and having a, a kid this year this movie hit me home a lot closer closer to home than it should have. If uh once my daughter is a teenager and, and it starts going through some of the stuff that this main character goes through, if i watch it again i'll probably break down bawling. But that, that said, uh i think it's a it's just a beautiful looking animated movie um and it just i, I really yeah, I thought about this movie for days afterwards, and we went into a long discussion about it after it on, on another review show. So I'm not going to get yeah. into it now, but that's my number two.
2: All right, so my number two, it's a it's a little film that got it got a theatrical run, but when I saw it, I totally fell in love with it just because of the how original not only the script was, but also the, the characters. And that's a movie called Dope. Did you guys get to watch Dope? I've heard about Dope, I haven't watched. I have he- I've heard about Dope, and I wanted to watch it. Haven't gotten to it yet. Great, great movie. It's uh again, I don't know, maybe it's me, something with those like coming of age stories. Uh, you know, I talked earlier about Kurt Turbo Kid. Now Dope is kind of in the same genre. It's about these three kids who are totally fucking enamored with the early '90s, mid '90s hip hop scene. And the movie takes place in modern time, but they dress like they're back in 1992 Cross Colors era. So it's it's very wacky in that sense. They got that kid and play haircut, and so the entire movie because it follows them, it gives you that weird fucking you know, nostalgia trip going back to that era, even though it takes place in modern time, and it's pretty much a, one of those calamity movies, you know, where, where, where these kids, they want to kind of get out of the ghetto, but at the same time, uh, something happens, and it kind of fucks everything up for the rest of the movie, and something keeps on always happening, you know, the, 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 those that classic motif of just one calamity after another, and they try to get out of it, you know, and... There's a lot of dark humor in it, and also there's a lot of just, you know, it hits you home that these kids are poor, and, you know, it takes place in in an urban setting, but at the same time, it also has a lot of heart. The film has a lot of heart. Uh, It has a great soundtrack. And um, I'm not going to talk about it too much because you guys haven't seen it, but it's definitely one of those movies that, you know, it, it, it is not reinventing the wheel in any way, but when you guys watch it, it, it does leave, it leave you with an, a good impression and it does kind of leave you thinking about it. Not only a, a, as far as what the story was, but also just the, what the filmmakers did to kind of put us back in a certain time without actually going back in a certain time. It has a lot of throwbacks to, like, the 90s culture, which, which, you know, I marked out for when I was seeing it. So, uh, yeah, it, it's it's a great movie.
1: Uh, it, it has, um doesn't that have the uh, actress from Creed in it? Yes, it does. Uh, I forget her name, Tessa. Soy Kravitz. No, that's not her name. Tessa something or other.
2: Uh, well, Zoe was...
1: Kravitz wasn't in Creed. Oh, well,
2: no, no, it doesn't have her, because I'm looking at the cast right now,
1: unless oh, you're
2: maybe, getting it wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, so yeah, it, it's pretty cool. And then, of course, you know, your, our heroes win at the end. You know, uh, it, 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 it goes from, like, an action movie to a chase movie. You know, so it, it's one of those movies where you have, like, you have our three heroes, and you have, like, like three different groups of people going after them wanting to hurt them. And then at the end, they all meet. You know, those kind of films. But it, it's a fun movie, and it, it, I just had a great time with it. I've seen it about three times now, and, and it's, it, it holds up. It's a very, very good movie.
0: Right. Um, Zoe Kravitz was in Dope. Actually, Tessa Thompson from Creed was in uh, Dear White People. That's that's what I'm thinking of. That's what I'm thinking
2: of. Which is a a tribute to the Oscars, I heard.
0: Yeah. Anyway. So, I have a feeling, though, that I think we have the same film as number one. Um, I'm going to just go out and say, correct me if I'm wrong, but right now in my number one slot, I actually do have Mad Max Fury. What a trippy movie that is. I mentioned... You know, films like Star Wars, Jurassic World, Hatefully as being like super fun to be at. This was probably the most fun I had in the movies all year. It's just, uh, b- just basically throwing stuff on the wall, see what stick. It's a great action movie. Freaking, uh, Charlize Theron stealing the show. Tom Hardy just kind of being like a sidekick, but he was still awesome in it. And it's like a great villain, great action sequences. And I was just mesmerized the entire time. It was just, it was basically, I felt like I was on acid. We've talked about this on our review on the show, but it's like, it's the one film experience this year that I probably will not ever forget.
1: <laughs> it, it is my, it is also my number one of the year, and I just love the fact that this f- fucking batshit insane s- s- action dystopian future, uh, you know, uh, uh, exploit exploitation film has been embraced by the masses the way it was, and not just that, but embraced by the critics, and not just that embraced by the freaking Academy, which I don't think it'll win, but the fact it's even nominated for Best Picture is insane. I loved every freaking frame of this movie from start to finish. I, it, it, I, I mean, there's nothing more I can say about it.
2: It's this incredible just fucking adrenaline rush from beginning to end. Like, literally, literally when the movie starts, it everything starts. There ain't no time. There ain't no bullshitting character development here. You had two, you had three fucking movies to get to know this guy. You should know by now that shit's going to go down. Literally, as the movie starts, the first minute in, he's already in the shit. And I love him. There's a this is great writing here and I and I and like you said Adolfo I do love that we're gonna see George Miller out there in a tuxedo at like fucking 100 years old.
1: I know I love it I
2: love but, it uh, but uh j- just just uh, uh, not only is it a, a an exploitation film like you talked about it has so many underlying themes which is which to me is what separates it from from your average one of the male exploitation film because you know exploitation films just want to exploit whatever they have to whether it's tits blood gore whatever this film actually has a lot to say within a structure of, of being a, a, a genre film. So um, I, I, I also love the fact that Tom Hardy is so fucking charismatic in this run. of course, we all wanted Mal in there. That was a the big thing when this was announced. Wait a minute, no Mal, I mean, he is fucking Mad Max. There ain't no other, but this guy fucking carried the ball. And he also has this sense... <laughs> what I like about Mad Max in this bo- movie is, like, he has... This sense of bewilderment throughout the entire movie like <laughs> like it's like he doesn't know what the fuck is going on he just has to know that he can't die all right and so it, that's what we're going through again the movie starts off in the first minute of uh, as soon as the there's no really no credits. it's just boom you're, you're you're in mad you're in the mad max world you're in fury road let's go and so Tom Hardy, man, Max, he's with us. He's like, what the fuck is going on? Where, where am I at? You know, one minute I, I'm looking up a hill. The next minute I'm shackled to a car with a fucking, you know, thing in my mouth. And I don't know what the fuck's going on. And um, again, uh, yeah, the, the, the film is actually kind of like Charlize Theron's film. Uh, but it, it still works. Um, you know, the, the, I thought the villain was pretty good. Now, that's a fucking crazy, wacky, over-the-top Darth Vader gimmick uh, villain right there. Uh, and, um, you know, it, it was just a fun ride from beginning to end, And it had a lot of... And, one of the, go ahead.
1: And I was going to say, and it's the and it's the same freaking villain from, from the first Mad Max. That's the actor who played Toe Cutter in the first movie.
2: I did not know that.
1: Yeah, and, yeah it is. And it's not the same character, but it's the same actor. Yeah,
2: yeah, okay, cool, I think, cool. I think it's hilarious. And it has homages to the previous three films. Of course, uh, Road Warrior is the one that everybody loves yeah and uh and um i do love the fact that it's almost like it's almost like like mad max has his life and we got a glimpse of like like two days worth of it and then we just get we just we don't get a glimpse anymore because the movie starts and he's in the shit and the movie ends he's out of the shit and it literally is as soon as he gets out of the shit there ain't no fucking goodbyes there ain't no hugs they're just him he looks up at the village they're happy they got their water and then he goes on to his next adventure
1: that, that's what I think makes him like such a great antihero because he's not like like so the reason he's such a good antihero is because you know and he's not a hero because a hero would be would be sticking around and doing everything because it's the right thing to do right but he's not a hero he's he he got caught up in this yeah exactly the only the only way out of the situation is just to see it through to the end and then once he's out of that situation he's on his way but like he's honorable he has honor to him. So that's what so but like he's not really doing anything for the for the quote unquote right reason. He's just doing it to like okay, uh if I don't do this, then I'm in worse trouble, so I'm just going to go ahead and see this through. Like that's what makes him such a great anti-hero. Um what I love about this movie is and I mentioned it earlier when we were talking about Creed and Star Wars, was that when I first heard that this was announced, I was like, "Oh no, this is going to be terrible. What a bad idea this is. I don't want to see this." And it turned out to so far exceed my expectations, especially when you look at it. There's no Mel Gibson. There's he doesn't have the car. Like he the car is barely in the movie, right? The the, the I forget what, what kind of car that is because I'm not a car guy. But like the famous car from the movies is not in there, and he's not even the main character. But it's still such a great ride from start to finish that i could not possibly have been happier with a movie it's my favorite movie of the year uh i know it won't win any oscars but i'm just so glad that it got nominated because it's just so amazing that it did
2: i think just by being nominated it already won i mean let's be real about it. a film like that yeah. just wins by being nominated uh
0: you know and and
2: um yeah that's pretty much what i gotta say about mad max is it's it's a great fucking movie
0: now, was that your number one as well, Draven? No, my
2: number one was The Martian.
0: Really? And the, That's interesting.
2: And the reason, okay, this, I don't know if I was in a good mood that day or what, but when I, the, <laughs> when I went to the theater, it just fucking, it was a great fucking experience. You know what it was? I mean, it
0: is a great movie, though. I no, can't you, argue you know with that. You know
2: what it was? It was that I, I hadn't read, I, I read the book already, because I went out and got the book as soon as I saw the movie, and the book is actually very, very good as well. But I had I had absolutely no reference for this movie. So I'm thinking I'm just going to go watch a movie about a guy that's stuck on, you know, on Mars or whatever. And that's not what it, it, it that's that's the overall, you know, but that's not really what it's about, you know. And and so when when, when I saw it, I'm like, what the fuck? You know, all these things going on and it, it got a little Michael Bayish there towards the middle. But, you know, <laughs> um, I thought Matt Damon did a phenomenal job, you know, just just his, his time. You know where, where it hit me. His comedic timing in this film was was fucking impressive because that theater was in hysterics at some of the shit he would do, and of course the writing helped them, but um, you, you know, and also uh, the, the, the the cast, the crew, they were all very very charismatic. You know, you had fucking Jeff Daniels, you had um, this one did had a uh, uh, Chastain, right? Yes. Yeah, okay, that that's one. okay. Uh, and and just uh, just just the, the cast of characters was was, was phenomenal. I thought I thought the the intensity was great. Um, just when 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 they're trying to especially towards the end, because I didn't know if they were gonna save him or not. Like I legitimately, that you know what? That's what really contributed to my enjoyment of this film. Like I didn't really know if he was gonna make it or not, you know. And then and then when he gets frustrated, like like when he tries to leave the first time, and then uh, the the I believe the the air air pipe thing explodes on him, and he gets really frustrated over that. Uh, just 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 a great film, man. It was a great fucking movie. I know it was in the top five of, of a lot of critics list so it is i had a good time with it
1: uh you know it, it's a fantastic movie it's in my top 10 um and, and the, it, it, it's i just i just like my top five more but I, it is like any other year it would have been in my top five it's just such a really gr- it's such a great movie um there's there's three moments in this movie that like stick with me um the first one is right after you find out he's still alive. And he, you know, he heads back to the base. He's got that thing sticking out of him. And he has to, he has to, he has to perform surgery on himself. And the whole time yeah. he's sitting there and he's, like, grunting and, and you, know, you know, screaming in pain oh, yeah. or whatever. And as soon as he's finally done, he stitches himself up. There's, like, a beat. And then he goes, fuck. And it's it, <laughs> <laughs> so funny because that's exactly what my, my reaction would be is that my first reaction would be, okay, i got to fix myself. And then as soon as everything is fine – or not fine, but as soon as, like, you have it's time over. to think – and you've and you and you've stitched yourself up and like you're starting to heal. That would be your first thought. It Would be like fuck. And that that was hilarious. Um, the second moment I thought was uh, I think you just mentioned it was whenever, um, whenever the the thing exposed and he has the the tarp over the opening and he has it taped down and yeah. and he's just sitting there and it, like he's he's just trying to concentrate on you know how much food he has left or whatever. But he hears like the tarp is, like, he's just very... The tarp is making this all this noise, and, like, you can just see that he's questioning is it going to hold, and he's trying to distract himself from it, and like, just continuing... And, and, and that's, all, that's
2: all Matt Damon right there. Like, the script will tell you what to, But, you know, you have to kind of... You have to go out there and do it, you know? Right. So, that, that, yeah, that's all him.
1: I thought that was a great moment, and the, and, my, and the last good moment of, like, probably, like, the showiest acting scene is whenever he's in the... in the rocket, uh, and he's about to... And he has no... Support in the Rocky. He's completely just taken everything out of it, and he's and there's to the to the point where like he's going out there with no protection. Yeah. And it's like, and he's about to like lift off, and he's just like kind of having a meltdown. Like right, right. It, it, that was a fantastic moment too. So uh, I I do I it's not my number one. It, it's just uh, but it was a fantastic choice. I, I really really enjoyed that movie. And
2: I and I'm also a sucker for that for those kind of films where like. Like you know, like I like Armageddon, you know, because it has it has like the, the the when people are all together they have they all have a mission to accomplish and they all work yeah. as a team, you know, and and this film had three perspectives. They had the the NASA the NASA base. it had the, the 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 crew that was coming home, but they decided to go back from, and then it had his point of view. So you had three things going on at once, and you know all the conflict, um, you know the fact that they didn't want to tell the crew about it in the beginning. It's it just it's just so so much drama. And, um, you know, it was just, a. it left me with a big impression. And it's just a phenomenal film. And when I walked out of there, I'm thinking, man, what's going to beat this? I mean, I, I have so much emotion going on. And I do like, you know... Snobs like myself sometimes were like, oh, you know, I wanna do the author thing where the guy doesn't make it at the end. You know, that's the whole that, that's the in thing to do when you're like a anti Hollywood film, right? Because that's kind of real life. Not no, you,
1: you want that movie. You want you want him to get off that. Like, yeah,
2: exactly. Like I found myself like, man, if he doesn't get off of this fucking thing, I'm gonna be so bummed out, you know, like you know, he's so close and everything I went always went wrong for this fucking guy, including at the end where he's fucking like you said, he's up there with no protection anymore. And uh, and so it was nice to have that scene at the end where he's kind of older and he's he's talking to the class or whatever and that that's pretty much it.
1: Yeah, I I do um <laughs> I do I I have been guilty of, of of like wanting a darker ending for things like I, I've gone on record <laughs> I've gone on record saying that I think at the end of Dark Knight Rises Bruce should have been dead. But um but I I, I am so glad that he made it off the of march because I think the movie. Would have been way too much of a downer if he hadn't if he didn't make it off off uh, the planet. I almost said off the island, but off the planet. I also love the fact that you you just name dropped Armageddon because I love I I love that movie, but I, it's like my favorite bad movie. Like because it's not really technically a good movie, you know? Because when you think about the conceit, it's really stupid. But yes. I, I but uh, yes because it makes no sense that it's easier to train astronauts. It's, it's easier to train oil drillers to be astronauts than it is to train. Astronaut astronauts has to be oil I know. It makes no sense, but every time it's on, <laughs> every single time it's on, I'm going to sit there and I'll watch it, every goddamn time. But I think, okay, but see, I've, I've got on record, I have a spot in my life for Michael Bay,
2: because his movies are horrible, but there's Every time you go there, li- there's some good ones
0: I like to, like The Rock, and the Armageddon. Rock is a That's a great movie. film. Well,
2: The Rock's his masterpiece. Like, like I'm gonna go check out 13 Hours just because I do like to see his movies when they come out because I think his movies are made for the big screen anyway. The way he shoots them, it's just goddamn. His fucking shot selection is it'll give you a headache, man. He's got about ten thousand different things going on in like two seconds. But um, uh, I don't know how we got off on Mike. Oh, because of The Martian and Armageddon. Uh yeah, people should listen to because I have the Criterion edition of Armageddon and he he has too. A, he has a commentary track on there with Bruce and, and Ben and they're fucking hilarious man they're just ribbing oh, each boy. other talking shit to each other like like Ben Affleck's whole gimmick is he points out all the plot holes to Michael Bay mm-hmm. and Michael Bay's like oh well you know we you wouldn't be working if it wasn't for that plot hole and then you know they're getting a good laugh out of it and stuff he's like what what why don't you just train Michael, why don't you just train the astronauts to be oil drillers? And he's like, well, you, you wouldn't be here sitting with me if that was the case. And it's like, just they were, <laughs> they were busting each other's balls throughout the entire movie. And it's funny because that DVD also has a track with. Ast- I've never heard of that one because I imagine it's kind of boring. It has actual astronauts fucking analyzing the movie and saying what could have been possible and what couldn't have. So there's also that side, of that, that commentary track. But yeah, The Martian is my number one movie. And uh, I had a great fucking time watching it,
0: you know? I mean, it is a great movie. I I can't argue with that. I mean, if I had, like, a longer list, it would have been, like, 11 or 12. Like, it just... Missed the cut of my top ten.
2: And again, but like, it was I, I, a great I, fucking I, I, movie. I will, I, will, I will add an addendum that it was probably an emotional reaction. I don't know. I was just having a great time, a great day that day, and mm-hmm. it was just because I, I believe me. I think about it and it doesn't re, it doesn't stand out as number one, but it just it is number one. That's the movie that I would want to see again right now. If you gave me a choice to see any movie out of all the ones we just right. talked about.
1: I don't think that's—I mean—I don't think that's a, a necessarily a bad thing to to list a movie based purely on, on emotional response to it. Because I mean, Star Wars and Creed made my list based purely on emotional response. Um, like, but I, I the Martian and my, my, made my top ten. I mean, the Martian made my top ten, based, because I think it actually is like a well crafted film. So I, I think it's a—I think it's a solid choice. It just didn't make my number one. All right. So do
0: we have right. time
2: to talk a little bit about our our has so
0: our uh, never yes, was? Yes, I, I have time. Uh, never was. I don't know if you want to do th- three or five for this because I have five ready to go. No, I, I don't want to spend like too two. much well, time we, on. We
2: don't have to have the same number. Just I have a couple. I'm sure Duffel has some. You have some. We'll just talk about
0: them. All right. Well, well, real quick, let me just run off my list super quick. So my worst five of 2015 starts with number five, which is Terminator Genesis. We talked about that already on the show. Yes. No need to more, go more into it. And, and, uh, but
2: the, real fast, they've killed the franchise, which I'm happy with. Paramount. So the rights will go back to James Cameron because the, the deal was you got to keep on making these in order to keep the rights. Now that they've officially said they're done, one of these days is going to go back to James Cameron. So hopefully he could do
0: something with it. Uh, that's true. Maybe he could create a, another t- Twenty year later, film. Uh, like, I,
1: I'm gonna go on record here. If they never make another Terminator movie, I'm okay. I'm okay me with so, that. Like you know what, the series peaked at two, and three was not great, but it wasn't terrible. And every ever everything since then has
0: been horrible. So I, I'm you know what, I, the, I I'm good with one and two. That's all. I know. What's so funny about that is that like you know this is a film that you know in a year to work has kind of revolved around nostalgia with like Star Wars and Creed and all that, like, this is the one that kind of just fell flat on his face. Oh, it shit the bed. Well, yeah, yep. I mean, you know what? I'm not gonna
2: get started, because
0: if I get started, we'll be here another you, hour. You went on get, get, get an awesome rant right already on this yeah, show. There's so, so many
2: fucking reasons, you know. It's not, it's not, there's a reason. We could point to the reasons why this fucking movie sucks, but uh, I've already done it, so, yeah, that, so what, what other movie you got?
0: I got The Boy Next Door as my number four, because that was just, like, it's such a waste of time. bro. <laughs> And, but the, what I, the thing I kind of did like out of all of this was that like the Ryan Guzman who played the the, the heel he was just he he went all wacky with it like he basically is, he knew this is using a shit movie so he just kind of went all this, out with is his this is this a Jennifer Lopez one? Yes, I there
1: was a sick part of me that wanted to see that because it just looked like someone made a lifetime movie and then gave it yes. like, and then gave it like 30 million dollars
0: like if it wasn't for her being
1: <laughs> it, it would have been on lifetime like legit bro like, come on that's what it looked like it looked like someone made a lifetime movie for 30 million dollars so like <laughs> it cracked me up every time i saw the commercials i was like how is this in theaters how is this a movie
0: but then you, you see the guy go from like this like to kind of a regular guy i guess to like this weird psychopath and like the span of like. 20 minutes. It was like, like no character development. It was just so, whoever wrote this, I don't know, must have been like high on something. But, it was, the end was funny. But it was still pretty terrible. Um, Number three, Hot Tub Time Machine 2. I've already ranted on that on this show before. Freaking fell asleep halfway through and when I woke up, I was annoyed. <laughs> um... <laughs> Number, okay, so number one and number two, I had a hard time kind of debating which was worst. Do I want Fantastic Four or Fifty Shades of Grey? Fantastic but in the end, I'm I Fifty the end,
1: Shades of Grey, but Fantastic Four has to be number
0: Fifty four. Shades of Grey pissed me off the most, though. More than Fantastic Four, so I put that at number one and Fantastic Four, which you already rented on previously, was my number two. Where So that's my top five worst. Uh, Well, my,
1: I don't have, I don't think I have. Five. The the ones that really got my my hate were Fantastic Four, which I've already ranted on ad nauseum. I fucking hated that movie, and it's it's such a piece of shit. Um, Terminator Genesis, uh, Poltergeist, which I was so annoyed with because it. I think I forget what I said before. Like I, I compared it to like a, um, I think I said something like Justin Bieber uh, covering a Metallica song. It just had no heart. Had no edge. Uh, and it was like – there's only two good things about that movie, and it's Sam Rockwell and Jared Harris. Those those two guys were awesome in that movie, but the rest of that movie was like – this didn't need to be remade. Like there's nothing – they didn't do anything really new or innovative with it. It was just crap. Um, and the other one that was probably the biggest failure because it was probably the most expensive, Jupiter Ascending by the Wachowskis.
2: Okay, so you're saying not to watch it because that one's on my docket.
1: I, you know, it's, it's kind of – here's the thing about it. it's kind of a beautiful movie like if you watch it, you can the money is on the screen like you can tell they spent a lot of time on it. they spent a lot of money on it they 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 cared about it they um uh they clear clearly the story meant a lot to them, but it's just bad like like I can't say that the special effects were bad because they weren't they were good. I can't say like the art direction was bad or or anything else, but like the story is really bad, and Eddie Redmayne, the same year he won an Oscar, delivered probably one of the worst performances I've ever seen. <laughs> it's seriously like, it, it, if you've ever seen like uh what, like one of those nineteen forties serials that like you know from, from you know like 19, with the where the villain is really like hammy and wacky, he makes them look tame because he is so. Chewing scenery—it's not even like he'll—he'll go like from a really soft voice to screaming really loud, and it's like, oh my god, I can't stand this movie. It's just really, oh my god, it's so bad. It's like the best-looking terrible movie I've ever seen. Like, it's—I would say it's kind of worth watching, just to see the dichotomy of how beautiful it is to how bad it is, if that makes sense. Really? Yeah, it's. I'll check it, it out. It, yeah, it, the honest trailer on it is pretty hilarious. Because you can tell a lot of love and went into it, but the end result is just so bad.
2: Because that was supposed to be the star of another franchise, right?
1: Yeah, and it, it bombed miserably. <laughs> well, good.
2: So um, for me, and this I know this was in, uh, in Mark's honorable mentions, but I didn't really like it. I'm going to start with The Walk. I hated The Walk. Really? I thought I thought there was no story there, and they just dragged it on. I mean, I saw the document documentary is good because the, the guy is based on his. Oh, character. Man
0: on Wire is fantastic.
2: Yes, and he's a character. The guy himself is a wacky character. Uh, so documentary, but I thought you know, uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt with that wacky French accent that would come in and out, you know, was they
0: coming in and out? Yeah, that, I thought that was pretty funny, but you know, and, and
2: I don't know, I don't know if Robert's a man. But I
0: just like the heist aspects of it, all of it. Like I kind of dug that. Storytelling method,
2: but I this is what how I felt. I felt that the, the, the team didn't have no chemistry to get. That's how I felt. You know, the team didn't have any chemistry, and this all falls on the director. A lot of it does because his direction was, and also, I never sense that the stakes were that high because here here's this guy that they tell us right from the very beginning that he's a free living character. He's he's you know he doesn't mm-hmm. give a fuck. So once you establish that, other than him falling on his ass from the twin towers you really never sense a, a sense of danger or, like, you know, they might not succeed, you know? And, and so there's never no, there's never really anything in, on the line. Um, and then, again, the entire movie is just him trying to fucking get up there, and I felt there was not enough story to it. So, you know, and then – so I didn't really like that movie that so much.
1: So, you know, I, I saw this movie, like – and this movie bombed kind of famously, but it, I saw this movie in IMAX on 3D. Me too. And – the whole – I'll agree with you that like everything leading up to it is just kind of there. But I will say that the actual walk, watching it in IMAX in 3D is actually really well – like technically well done because I, I felt like the the effect was actually really – like I actually got a little bit um, nauseous and a little dizzy yeah. watching yeah, 3D it. was phenomenal. That, that was actually really cool, but it does not justify the rest of the movie to me.
2: And the fact that he's up there like breakdancing at one point, like a Wayne's Brothers movie and shit, like a spoof movie. I don't know if the guy really did that I, in real. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm being hyperbolist, but you know, he lays down, he 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 stands in one foot. I'm like, where's the where's the where's the drama here? Where's the tension? You know?
0: Because uh, You know what to be honest. I think it kind of hit me more than it did you guys because you know I live, you know I live in Jersey, but like I've been to the Twin Towers and you know basically the whole story that um. Zemeckis was telling it was like he wanted just to do a love story about the the twin towers, kind of like romanticize them a little bit. This is like the most famous story about the towers. And the thing that really got to me at the end too, if you remember, was like you know after the whole thing happened with the walk, he's talking about how like you know they gave him the the lifetime pass to the towers, and then he just starts crying, you know, because they're not there anymore. And that really got me, because you know it's I used to see that skyline every day when I went to school because it's like right across the river. Even right. though I'm just in Jersey, I'm like 15 minutes away from from Manhattan, and I'd always just see that skyline. And then when that happened, that kind of hit me and my family a lot more than probably a lot of other people. So when that scene happened at the end, where he kind of starts like crying about the towers not being, that really hit hard at home for me. Right. So
2: so um uh yeah so that that was I was very disappointed by that film. Um and 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 to me I lay the blame a lot of, of on Robert Zemeckis just because again. You're the director. It's your job to kind of make me feel the drama, even though it's the actor's job to kind of express it. I felt like the direction was all wrong. But now another movie that I hated, and this is this hit me really hard because you know I'm a horror movie guy. I fucking hated The Green Inferno when I saw it. It's just really. I don't. know. I, if, I heard
0: bad things about it too.
2: I don't know if we've become cynical as a society or what, or or maybe Eli Roth hasn't really caught on. But his movie was like an '80s like horror movie but like made in modern days and the thing about that is that all those 80s movies are all funny now to everybody like you go to the theater because it's so they're so over the top and that yeah. and that's what this was it was like and he could have really made a good movie because the movie's beautiful he actually went to the jungles to shoot it in chile you know yeah it was in chile yeah in so chile, so yeah. so he he went there uh, the the cannibals look great. It was it, it, if he would have, you know what it was too. I think he shot it on digital, which is you know he's one of Quinn's boys, so I don't know how Quinn felt about that. <laughs> and, and, and you could see, you know how digital brings out the greens and the reds a lot, and it kind of gives you that that television look a lot of the times. Yeah. So a lot of the greens were really really bright, and it was like it, it essentially kind of became like a shot for television movie after a while. Where mm. where he had to use film, you would have got that little grainy look, where, and it would have added to the horror element a little bit. Um the it just essentially the cannibals just eating people one by one and then at the end, you know, the heroin whatever. You know, it's t- typical yeah. horror movie 101. I was very disappointed by it. The acting is atrocious, you know. The effects were good. I mean he got away with an R rating but you know, I've seen I see a lot of these movies on video on demand, so I'm used to like the gore aspect of it wasn't really there for me either. Uh so yeah, that was well, another one. Here's movie. what's
0: disappointing about that, bro, is that if you buy the uh, the Grindhouse releasing Blu-ray that they put out of Cannibal Holocaust, like, Eli Roth actually does an introduction to that film about how, like, he this is, like, the film that inspired him to do horrors, one of his favorite movies. Right. And, you know, this is essentially, like, a remake of that film. And to hear that he kind of dropped the ball with it is very I, disappointing. I feel
2: like he dropped the ball with it. Uh, there's another movie he made this year called, called Knock Knock, which starred uh, Suck Reeves. And that movie is even worse than fucking Green Inferno. It's about the, <laughs> it's about the, the this guy who's at his home, and these two girls come, and they and they and they pr- pretty much is uh it's one of those uh, home invaders movies that are all that were all the rage about two three years ago, uh and so these these two girls start fucking with him throughout the entire movie. But Keanu he doesn't give he doesn't care that he's there. He fucking sleepwalks through the role, which some would argue he always he sleepwalks through everything. But more specifically, this role he just didn't give a fuck, and and him being the, the 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 hero of the movie they they don't put any baby face heat on him for lack of a better term so it just comes off like you're just watching this guy getting tortured for absolutely no reason and it makes it makes him come off looking stupid especially because the girls are like you know 20 21 years old and they're making them a fool so um that's another one now now the the, the next two that i'm going to mention are uh, you know critically acclaimed so i'm going to go against the grain here one of them
0: is joy
1: i hated joy
0: Oh, you know what? That was actually my honorable mentions for Worst of the Year. Before you even go on. Is
1: Joy actually critically acclaimed? I've heard, like, I actually haven't heard anything good about it. Uh, I mean, I know that Jennifer Lawrence got nominated for an Oscar, but I haven't actually heard anything good about that movie.
0: Okay, well, Actually, bro, before you go on, let me just – I had four films that didn't make my top five worst. I just want to throw them out right now. Joy is one of them. Minions, Tomorrowland, and Spy are my other four that – where I thought were the worst of the year, but Joy is on there, so I find that funny that you, you're bringing it up.
2: Look, Joy had no fucking likable characters whatsoever, including Joy. Yeah, there was nobody for me to root for. The story is supposed to be this underdog story of this of this woman, and and I get the sense that it's because we're supposed to latch on to the fact that she's a woman in a, in our society where you know women are stepped on or whatever, uh, you know. But it, it's established early on that her family has a shitload of money, as in millions. Uh, so right away, they lost me right there. Um, and so all the risks she takes are kind of like, you know, are they really risk? You know, she had like a little nice little pillow to come back to every single time. Um, yeah, she's a single mom and they established that. Uh, and then she's kind of full of herself, bro. And I hope that's not how the real lady is in real life, because I, I got the sense that she was really full of herself just the way she talked to everybody and they have that 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 scene in the when she's in the warehouse of her of her little mops and she tries to sneak in and steal the designs and it just gets annoying after a while and then at the end they build to this great fucking redemption scene where it doesn't really hit home
0: to me i don't know how you felt about yeah that, that kind or, of fell flat for me too. Like, like like
2: she fucking talks down to to the to the owner of, of the of the warehouse where she gets all her shit for her stuff. And that's it. She talks down to him. He signs over the power of attorney back to her, and and that's it. That's it, you know. And it's like, what the fuck? Whatever. Uh, I didn't like that. Yeah, her
0: family is a bunch of assholes, bro. All of them. All of them. Yeah,
2: including our boy Bob De Niro. And so. Yeah, uh, Bobby De Niro,
0: bro. he (laughs) He wasn't the biggest of the bunch, but he was. He definitely was one of them.
2: And then the, the last one is uh, Steve Jobs. I just didn't like it. I talked about it earlier. I thought, you know, I, I was talk I told Adolfo on Facebook, you know, that line about I'll put a thousand songs in your pocket, I was like, Oh my god, I got douche. Yeah,
1: that dude. was a bad line and I didn't like that. Mm-hmm. I, I did like the movie based mostly on the performances, but I do agree that it was not it's not very structured very well. I mean I I appreciate what they were trying to do. Um, it, it, but and I agree, there wasn't like a very uh, strong film. But I enjoyed Michael Fassbender so much that it like it was it great, me, it was awesome. That it that it, it, that was it, awesome. it elevated the movie for me.
2: Yes, he was. But but the whole thing about centering the movie around three of his big speeches to introduce uh, the Apple computer or whatever, uh, and then include a couple flashbacks here and there, I thought it took me out of the movie because. And you know what? A part I'm gonna agree with. I'm gonna admit this. A part of it is my fault because I, I went in there not expecting that. So that 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 does affect my, my view of the movie. I thought we were gonna get more of a straight autobiographical movie, but again, that's been done like ten times already, with all yeah. kinds of different budgets. And, and but so I, I'm sure Danny Boyle, when he got the job, he was like, I got to do something different because I can't just tell this guy's story again. But what he chose was just to focus on three different aspects of, of, of his life in three different settings of introducing a new uh, uh, Apple model, you know, as the years went on. So and, and from there you get the, the drama and the tension. Now, I will say this. I thought Seth Rogen also did a great job. He was phenomenal in the movie as well. Um, but the movie as a whole kind of let me down especially because I was hearing all this acclaim for it too and I was like man this is just it's not that good of a movie you know um was that your
0: worst of the year Steve Jobs
2: no 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 I didn't, I didn't have no particular order I was just I was just talking oh, okay. because I was just about
0: I'm gonna say I wanted to ask you would you rather watch any of those movies again or grand piano? <laughs> <laughs>
2: No, my worst of the my worst of the year would be Terminator Genesis. There's nothing that would ever top that. Maybe but would you
0: rather watch that again over Grand Piano? Yes,
2: <laughs> yes. Okay. But, but How
0: much but... do you hate that other movie? because oh, okay.
2: that Grand Piano was just senseless and stupid. And you know, I'm thankful it was what it was. You know, I didn't get no buzz or anything. Just a dumb movie. <laughs> uh,
1: I, I do have a couple that not, they're not. Like the worst of the year for me, but they were just kind of disappointments. Like we talked about before, Age of, Age of Ultron, I, I expected a lot more out of it, and while I still like the movie, like it just did not hold up to that like was the 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 outer, Marvel other
0: disappointments for me. Too.
1: Um, one and, and it's not because I think the movie was bad, but because I think it was re- It was marketed poorly, and I went in expecting something completely different than I got. Was Crimson Peak? Uh, I was expecting a, a straight up horror movie, and that is not what that movie is at all. Um, it, it's a right. beautiful movie though. If you watch it, it's beautiful. I saw it. I saw it. It was okay. Yeah, it was beautiful cinematography, beautiful art direction. It just it just really pretty to look at. But I wasn't expecting a horror movie, and boy, that is not what you get in that movie. And that that's more of a fault of the marketing, I think. But on its own, it's fine. It's fine. It's not bad. but It's not great. Um, Southpaw. I, I liked the performances, but I just felt that the story was really just. Like
0: cliched, yeah. We, yeah, we talked about that. That's really all you see it for is the performances. Yeah. Um, Spectre. I was really pissed off about that one. Is a disappointment. For that me one too. was like, like overall. Christoph- like I did
1: like the movie, but like Christoph Waltz is was so wasted there. Christoph Waltz has this awesome introduction in that movie, and like during like you know he's the shadowy figure. He like has, and he just looks super cool. And then he has this one line. After he like says something about Mr. you know Mr. Bond, we have a guest we have a guest, Mr. Bond, blah blah blah, and then he looks up at him and he says "cuckoo." I'm like, what? And then yeah. he disappears <laughs> for the rest of the movie until like the last ten minutes, and then and then it's just like, no, that movie that and Batista also was wasted in this movie as like as like the henchman. Like I thought he was wasted. Yeah, like uh, two scenes. He like bro. two scenes, and he was great in those scenes. I actually thought he was really menacing, but he was wasted. Like, I, and he got he got punked out like a bitch in the end. That movie was so disappointing. It had a lot of potential. Um, What else? Black Mass. I was also really disappointed with. Me too. That's. I was very disappointed. I was really looking forward to that one, and like, you know, there were times where like. Uh, the, where I thought Johnny Depp was actually pretty good, but other times it was like he's coming off kind of like a comic book villain. Like he almost yeah. was like too unbelievable in that role. Um, and it just – I didn't like the structure of the film. It was just not really well done. And the other one, it's not really a bad movie. It just – I think all the praise that it's getting, it's really overblown. And that's the Danish girl. I, I thought that it was – like I said, Eddie Redmayne is just like – it's just such an Oscar bait movie. It's just like it's like it's just everything about it is like, look at us, look at us, nominate us for stuff. You know what I mean? And it's yeah. just it just really like I think the Alicia McKenna, who I think is nominated for a supporting role, uh, yeah. I think she's actually pretty good. Um, but I think Eddie Redmayne is just way too showy, and I think it's just because the movie. You know, we're in a we're in an era now where you know. Where where you know American society is trying to be much more accepting of transgender people, and that's that's very noble, and I agree with that. But I think that's why this movie is getting all the traction that it is. But on its own bait, on its own merit, it's just okay. It's not great. It's just okay. And those are my disappointments.
2: So what do you guys think? Because you know the the this, this Daniel Craig era of James Bond, which I also call the Sam Mendes era, because Sam Mendes really he's really kind of carry the torch for for this portion of James Bond. One of the things that I noticed about this portion, the Daniel Craig era, is that they're trying to make an overarching story with all... You know, before Daniel Craig, it was just individual, you know, individual movies. Individual stories. Yeah boom, yeah, boom, boom, boom. With this one, they're trying to make it an overall theme with all the movies he's going to be in. So it's like one big story from... from uh, What was the first one again? Um,
0: from Casino Royale. Casino
2: Royale all the way till now. And... He, I, know, I know. I kind of like that by the way I kind of like that they did it like that I a little know, differently I know Sam Mendes has tried to add more depth to James Bond and all that stuff but the thing about Sam Mendes if you ever watch any of his movies he's kind of a little full of himself sometimes and so he he'll, he'll go into that mode where like he had all this character development, but he has absolutely no pizzazz to it. So that's why you see like Spectre. Spectre he, like he a, did American Beauty, right?
0: Yeah, but again,
2: yeah. but yeah. You see, one thing you gotta understand is that that movie has a lot of critics that don't. They change. That hasn't aged well, according to a lot of people. You
1: know, you, know, you know, I don't think I've seen that movie in like ten years, so I can't say. But I know a lot of people say it hasn't aged well. Um, I I, I have I have to rewatch that's a movie I have to rewatch because I haven't seen it in a long time. And so, <laughs> but. Um, but yeah, actually, go ahead. He did do a movie that I did think that it did think aged well, and it, and nobody ever talks about. That's Road to Perdition, which I thought was a really, that, really- that, that's his
2: masterpiece. I think. Yeah, that's, that's a
1: fantastic that's a, movie. That's a great uh, film. But nobody ever talks about that movie. No, no, I don't. <laughs>
2: Uh, so, so, I think once you get somebody like a Sam Mendes involved, he is gonna make the movie his way, which means, like, two hours and thirty minutes, and, like, half of it is just, like, blowing himself, you know, so, that, <laughs> that, that, that's what we got with Spectre, that's the big thing, I mean, Spectre should have been, like, at least 20 minutes shorter than it was.
0: Yeah, I, I gotta agree with that, because there was a lot of filler in there. Yeah, so, I was well, so, I was so, I was so pissed off about that movie. <laughs> like, it did piss me off, but then when like, I, after I thought about it, like, you no know, a few days later I'm like yeah this wasn't really that good. Although great.
1: I will say I will say it has a fantastic opening action sequence. The opening action sequence of that movie is really really strong and it fools you into thinking the rest of the movie is going to be good but then it, that that's the highlight that that action sequence at the very beginning with the helicopter in Mexico after that it's yeah. all downhill. <laughs> yeah
2: um there's another movie real fast that i just thought about right now that was really good that you guys should check out if you guys never saw it and that's krampus the one that came out in december oh, I, I heard about krampus that. oh great right that, that's a good time at the theater that's from a director his name is michael doherty he did a movie called trick or treat which is an anthology halloween film oh, I, I, a, I, I saw that one
0: it's a great movie and,
2: and you know that's the one that you know when people come over you know uh that's the one i always throw on because that movie like Nobody has been able to capture the Halloween season like *Trick or Treat*, man. Is the way he uses his colors, the 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 stories, the you know it's it's, it's a scary movie at times, co- comedic at times, and it's a great film. And finally, he got some money to make like a big budget film in *Krampus*, and he does the same thing with the with the with the Christmas theme. I mean, when you see *Krampus*, it takes you back to like fucking uh, *Gremlins* and you know the the, the those kind of horror slash comedy movies that were made in the in the in the, in, Christ, in Christmas time. And uh, just just a nice, great movie, good story. And that's another one you guys should check out.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm, uh, I'm waiting for it to come out on video because I, or on demand or whatever, um, because I really wanted to see it in theaters.
0: I just never got around to it. But it, I heard nothing but good things about that movie. Yeah. So then uh, before we head out, just real quick, um, since this is also kind of like an Oscar preview show, just we're not going to go through all the awards, just the main one, best picture, just from the ones that you've seen, which one do you think has okay, the shot? Okay, but do
2: you have the categories in front of you? Yeah. Okay, tell me the, the contenders.
0: Well, for Best Picture, it's uh, The Big Short, Bridge of Spies, Brooklyn, Mad Max, The Martian, The Revenant, Room, and Spotlight. Um, the only one I have not seen is uh,
1: uh, Brooklyn. Um, I don't know. I've heard, I've heard decent things about it, but I haven't seen yeah,
0: it. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say, uh, it, it's okay. It's it okay.
1: Okay. Um, yeah. the, the ones I think have the best shot are Spotlight, The Revenant, and The Big Short. I don't think the other ones have a shot.
2: I've always felt like the, the best picture winner should be a film that not only tells a good story, but also uses its actual screen to tell a story. And if, if we're going by that, then The Revenant should win because that movie looks absolutely beautiful and it's a pretty good story. But that's not always the case. That's just my criteria, you know, because, you know, somebody asked me the other day, well, how, do you, how do you differentiate? Because, you know, we're like in the golden era of television and how do you di- differentiate that from going to the movies? And my thing has always been when when a filmmaker knows what he's doing, he uses the screen to tell a story. You know what I'm saying? The entire screen, whatever that is, you know. And whereas television is more of a, good story, you know, whether it's good performance, but they don't really have the budget to kind of, you know, give us the effects or, or use the television screen to tell a story. Mm-hmm. So with that, all that said, whenever you talk to me, what's going to win Best Picture, uh, I always think about what's the story that captures everything as far as, you know, using the screen while it's also telling a good story, and to me that would, would be The Revenant, because all the other ones are great films, but like Spotlight and like The Big Short, they're they're just... You know they're great stories, but when you see them, they're not visually appealing. You know
1: what I'm saying? Right, but you so, have to think about how. But this isn't who should win. This is who will win. And like you got to think about how the Academy votes. The Academy doesn't always vote by like what is like what uses the most screen, for example. Usually the Academy just votes on so like what story they like the most. You know what I mean? So
2: this year we don't have anybody being like a half retard, right? Not full retard,
1: half nah. retard. <laughs> okay, no, nothing so, like that.
2: <laughs> all right, so um, I would have to go with The Big Short.
1: Yeah, I, I think that one in Spotlight and The Revenant, those are my three. But I don't, I don't know wh- which one of those is gonna actually win. But those are the three that I have that think I have
0: the best chance. All
2: right, let's go best actor and best actress real fast. Uh, Mark, tell me the best oh, actor. okay.
0: The- All right, you got a uh, best actor, Brian Cranston and Trumbo, which I still have to see. Oh my and God,
2: I forgot. Oh, I just saw that one. That that was, should- <laughs> God damn it. You know what? I'm editing my list on the spot. <laughs> on the spot. I'm taking off. I am taking off Turbo Kid. And I'm putting in Trumbull. Trumble Right now. Oh, right now. All right. Trump, okay, for the people that don't know, God damn, what a great fucking movie. Well, for the people that don't know Trumbull, it's about a guy called Trumbull. And he don't was Trump. a, yeah, he, he was a, a, a communist writer in, in Hollywood in the 50s. And, you know, we had that, that whole uh, McCarthyism. The yeah, the blackness. Yeah. And this is, this, now this is how you do a fucking underdog story. Fuck joy. This is how you do it. <laughs> so, so so this fucking guy I'm not going to get into it because you guys haven't seen it and I want you guys to enjoy it this guy lost everything. this is all just in the synopsis of the film he loses everything he goes to jail and it's the story of this guy coming back out and saying I'm not going to bow down to the system I will not say I'm not a communist but what I am going to do is I'm going to become the best fucking writer in Hollywood once again and that's pretty much the plot of the film and, and Brian Cranston does such, such a phenomenal job in this film and it has some great supporting actors like John Goodman's in there um, a couple other character Louis actors. Louis well. C.K., in there too, isn't he? Louis C.K., he's one of his writing partners. And, and, and man, it makes you angry, man. It makes you pissed off just... The injustices that these guys went through during that time, you know, they went to jail. Some of them got cancer, and yet, but it does have a happy ending, which I'm proud to say. Uh, and, and it's a great fucking film. And then it also does a lot of, you know, the 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 set design, a lot of, uh, uh, you know, early 1950s Hollywood, which I'm always a sucker for in movies. So yeah, it's 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 a great film.
0: I find it funny though that you know the director Jay Roach is the guy who's known for like comedies. And he actually tackled like a pretty like you know serious subject here and did well with it. I mean, look job. at the
1: big look at the Big Short though. The Big Short is Adam McKay who did Anchorman. Yeah, ex- exactly. <laughs> my my point exactly. Yes, yeah, they're they're growing they're growing up, folks. They're yeah, growing up. I, I I know something about the story of Dalton Trumbo, so I'm interested in the, seeing this movie. I just haven't gotten to it yet. It's it's on my list of movies to watch. I just have You're gonna you're gonna
2: like it. It's just it's just a great movie and it has a lot. It keeps you intrigued throughout. It's never boring.
0: It's it's a great movie. I'm also a mark for Brian Cranston, so I'll pretty much watch anything. Yeah, he yes, yes. <laughs> me too. And, and so, but uh, okay. it, it's him. It's Matt Damon in The Martian. It's okay. Leo in The Revenant. It's Fastbender, fucking Fassbender, as I call him, and Steve Jobs <laughs> and Eddie Redmayne in The Danish Girl. I think it's gonna go to Fastbender. I think it's gonna go to Leo. I think it's going to Leo, bro. <laughs> okay. Like I, yeah. don't, I don't, I, I, I don't necessarily
1: agree. like of those of that choice of those choices. I'd either give it to Damon or Fastbender.
0: But I think DiCaprio is going to win. Finally, bro. Um, uh, best Actress, yeah. Kate Blanchett in Carol, Brie Larson in Room, Jennifer Lawrence in Joy, which I don't understand, uh, Charlotte Rampling in 45 Years, and s- how do you say her name? sorry? shirsha Ronan. Ronan in Brooklyn.
2: Oh, okay. I haven't seen like half of those movies, so I have no comment. But, <laughs> um... I, but, I, but I heard that Carol is incredibly boring, though. It's just a boring waste of time. I
1: haven't seen it. Uh, I'm gonna watch it with my wife at some point, but I haven't seen it yet. Um, the only one I've seen here is Room, and from what I hear, Brie Larson is the is the has it in the bag. She
0: she's the favorite to win. Yeah, and the Jennifer Lawrence nomination just befuddles me. Like it's probably because she's Jennifer Lawrence, but still. But it's again,
1: like, you know what that, this is? It's it's like the Academy, like so. Like one of the things that they did with like the diversifying the the Oscars that so they're sort of trying to get more diversity in the in the in the academy is that they are what they are taking their so one of the rules that they have with the the rules change so like if you made a movie in like nineteen thirty two, right? And you became a member of the academy in nineteen thirty two because you made some movies and then you haven't worked since like nineteen seventy nine, you still have the same voting rights as people that are still active in the business. So like what they're doing now is they're starting to cycle some of those people out by, like, um, like if you haven't worked in 10 years, then, like, the new rule is, like, if you haven't worked in 10 years, you haven't been active, you no longer have voting rights. And, mm. like, I guarantee you a lot of people are just voting for Jennifer Lawrence because people just love Jennifer Lawrence. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, That's she's cool. just, like – she's just one of those people that everyone likes, and she's, like, really well-liked in Hollywood. So I bet you any money the people who voted for her just voted for her just because – Kind of like when Meryl Streep always gets nominated for stuff, and you're like, she's like been nominated like 420 times, and you're like, and for some of them they're deserving, but sometimes you're like, why did she get nominated for this? Like when she got nominated for Into the Woods last year, it was like, really that movie? <laughs> yeah. And so, and so a lot of the times I think it's just people who just like, oh, I like her, and they just without seeing the movie, they just they just vote for them. Well, that's true for
0: everything though. That's like, true. What, um. But anyway, supporting actors were going to get really interesting. Got Christian Bale, The Big Short, Tom Hardy, The Revenant, Mark Ruffalo in Spotlight, Mark Rylance in Bridges Spies, and Sylvester Stallone in Creed. See, that's a that,
2: that, that's a good that's a good little lineup there. Because that's that, a yeah. great
0: lineup because I I love pretty much every single one of
1: these performances.
2: Because they all they all brought something different to the to the table. All of them. I mean, Christian Bale was phenomenal. Sly was phenomenal. Everybody was phenomenal. Hardy, the Great Heel. Yes, yes, and um, I, I I'm gonna go with Sly. I think he's gonna get it. He's gonna be the the favorite. He's the sentimental yeah. favorite. Sentimental, sentimental favorite. favorite. Yes, yeah. yes, he is. And, and you know what? At the end of the day, even though I want Tom Hardy to win, I'm gonna pop when when they announce Sly Stallone's name.
0: Yeah, because I mean that when he won the Globe, that was like the first time that he won a Globe at, for Rocky. You know, as for the character Rocky Balboa, which is like a big moment, and I love his speech too. And then I think this this was gonna happen at the Oscars too. And it's funny, too, because even though Rocky won in
1: the Oscar in the 70s, um, I think everything that Rocky won in the 70s for as far as Academy Awards were all the stuff that he didn't have anything to do with. Like, right. So like it won for director. He didn't direct that movie. It won best picture. He didn't produce the movie. It was nominated for screenplay, but I don't think he won because uh, yeah. he wrote it. And he was nominated for actor, and he didn't win. So like it's just funny like so he it's, it's the role that defined him but he's never
0: won anything for it which I think is interesting yeah that's why well, that's why the Globe win was like so like awesome you know um and then you have a uh, best supporting actors you have Jennifer Jason Lee in Hateful Eight Rooney Mara in Carol Rachel McAdams in Spotlight Alicia Vikander in The Danish Girl and Kate Winslet for Steve Jobs
2: yeah th- now that's the opposite they're all kind of weak you know I don't know what that says about females in cinema but. I'm not that impressed with this
0: lineup. Well, I like Jennifer Jason Leigh in *The Hate*. Yeah, winner. that's my favorite to
1: win. Like, too. if it was me, I would have thrown in uh, Alicia Vikander for *Ex Machina*. But *Ex Machina* instead, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's what i was thinking. Danish too. girl, but um, I don't know who wins this. This one—that's a. This is a weird one because I don't know. There's not a real strong favorite here. My vote would go to Jennifer Jason Leigh because I thought she was amazing. But uh, I, I haven't really. Rachel McAdams really. Yeah, that's the one I don't
2: agree with at all.
1: And Kate Winslet was fine in Steve Jobs, but like I think she was overshadowed by Fassbender. Yes, yes she
2: was. And she didn't really she was just doing her job. I didn't think she she brought anything to the to the table.
1: I think it's I think she's another one that's just like I think she's people like her and they just nominate her cuz they like her, but I don't think she was outstanding in
0: that role. I don't know. This is me. Yeah. And real quick, let's get through these other ones too. Like director, I have Adam McKay for The Big Short, George Miller in Tuxedo and All for Mad Max, uh, Ignoritu for The Revenant, Lenny Abramson for Room, and Tom McCarthy for Spotlight. I
2: would, I mean, I would choose Iguiritu uh, because I mean, I, for
0: the criteria that I stated earlier. I mean, yeah, I, 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 him or, or I mean, George Miller's like my uh, like my sentimental favorite, but I think is gonna get it.
1: I actually don't have, I actually don't know who to go with here.
0: I would love to give it to George Miller. I don't think that'll
1: happen. But uh, I don't know. Not, I don't have a favorite here. And
0: even Adam McKay did a great job with the Big Short, too. Well, so well, that's he's the like thing, my number three. I don't
2: know what? I think I'm going to change my mind. Because Adam McKay, look at the performances he got out of all those actors he had. And every single one of them was different. Every single one of them brought something different to it. So I'm going to give it to Adam McKay. Because yeah, Adam- his direction was pretty damn good in the Big Short.
1: Adam McKay might get it just as like, oh, look at this guy. Who knew he had this in him kind of award, you know? (laughs)
2: Yeah, but you know, usually with the Oscars, what they do is that once one film gets something, it kind of dominates the entire night.
1: Yeah, like Birdman did last year.
2: They rarely, rarely spread the wealth where you're having all these different people from different films win all night. I mean, it happens, don't get me wrong, but, but usually, you know, tradition says that one film always squashes all others in every category. That's just the way it's been for years.
0: Yeah. You know, it's
2: like the, the, the headlines the next day are always, oh, it was Birdman's year, or, you know, or oh, it was uh, the Hurt Locker's year. You know, it, it just, it's just the it's been like that for years.
0: Now, um, the, uh, the screenplays are actually kind of interesting, too. Let's do those, I think, and then we'll get out of here. But uh, original screenplay, you got Bridge of Spies, Ex Machina, Inside Out, Spotlight, and Straight Out of Compton. I mean, that I'd
1: love—I'd love to give it to X Machina to me, but I think it'll be Spotlight. Damn that, that! I don't. Straight
2: out of Compton was good, but I don't think it—you was, know—it wasn't.
1: general Compton was good, but it was a little formulaic.
2: I hate it when they got fan servicey towards the third act, but that's just me. Um... But they didn't really that can't really consider fan service because you had to kind of introduce all those other wacky characters because they were part of you know they were part of the story. The,
0: the NWA, yeah.
2: So so um I would go with uh probably Spotlight.
0: Yeah, that sounds like the the safe bet for, for this category. But then for adapted you get uh the big short, Brooklyn, Carol, the Martian and Room. I wanna go with the Martian.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I sometimes think I sometimes think that adopted screenplay is harder because you already have a source material that you have to kind of mold into a good screenplay. Sometimes I feel that's even harder than just having an original screenplay. Especially
0: especially yeah.
2: especially off a book. You know, a book is so dense and you know you get so much information in a in a good book.
0: And you have to condense that to a two hour screenplay. Yeah, and it's
2: so hard yeah. and the Martian did it perfectly. You think Yeah, but you think, that uh, one or the big short
1: I think will get it. Do you think uh, Quentin got screwed out of a nomination for Hatefully? I
0: thought he did, but I think you guys feel a little different. I, I, oh, I, so.
1: I think this is the first time – well, okay, he never got nominated for Kill Bill, but uh, I think this is the first time that he's ever been nominated – like where his movie was nominated where he wasn't nominated. Like So yeah. Hatefully has a couple nominations, but he has no nominations because he had nominations for Django and *Glorious Bastards – and uh, I think he had one for – he may have had one for Jackie Brown, and he definitely had one for Pulp Fiction. But he he didn't get any for this one I think is interesting.
2: Well, I think the movie's strengths are what it got nominated for, which is the score and the cinematography.
0: Oh, that's Speaking the of the score, score – well, I, I Yeah, the score, bro, that's another one I actually wanted to touch on because I'm looking at the nominees here. And you have a Bridge of Spies, Thomas Newman, you have Carol – Carter Burwell, The Hateful Eight, Ennio Morricone, uh, Sicario, Johan Johansson, and Star Wars: The Force Awakens for Johnny Williams. So that's going to be an interesting category too. I
1: hope it goes to Ennio Morricone because he he to me is the greatest composer as far film composer ever.
2: I like how Tarantino was like, this guy he turned in a horror film score when I asked him for right? <laughs> but he's like, You don't know but, he was like, well, you but know it what? works. You know what? It works, all right? It works. It and, works, and, bro. There's tension <laughs> in the movie, I, I took it. Because you know, the thing about Tarantino is that they had to convince him to hire him because he what he likes to do is he just likes to license out the music from that's already, you know, been created and then just use it in his movies. But uh, you know, you
1: it's funny. It's funny that he had to be convinced because he's such a mark for old movies. You'd think he, he'd he'd welcome the chance to work for, with with Ennio Morricone because he's awesome.
2: Well, what he said is that he's essentially a mark, he's, he might be a mark for old movies, but he's a bigger mark for himself because he said that's true. That's I don't true. like. He, this is his words. He's like, I didn't really feel comfortable giving anybody that kind of control over my movies. You know, that's why he's never hired a composer into this movie. Uh, but he was very happy with it. Yeah. So, and then he did use, I think he sampled a little bit of The Thing's uh, uh, score, you know. The, that was
0: unused, right? Yeah. yeah. I heard about that, too.
2: Because for the people that didn't get the reference, the ending of Hateful Eight is exactly the ending of The Thing. It's the same ending, with both of the guys knowing they're going to die, but not really knowing when, and that's just how the movie ends. Yeah.
1: That's true.
0: The middle, I, mean, I haven't seen in The Thing of a while.
2: Yes, yes indeed. Yeah, there you go.
0: <laughs> I, know, I mean, Murricone would be like my... Uh, Pick, pick to win, but I think Johnny Williams is my sentimental favorite because that Force Awakens score is very beautiful. Yeah, but John Williams has a bunch.
1: Like, he doesn't need another one. <laughs> like, I love, I love John Williams, and he's, he's created, like, the most iconic scores of, like, ev- like that everyone knows. But he's got a bunch of Oscars. He doesn't need one.
0: <laughs> but this is another competitive category, too, the cinematography. You have Carol, you have Hateful Eight, Mad Max, The Revenant, and Sicario.
1: Yeah, all beautiful movies. I mean, I haven't seen Carol, but the other four yeah. are all gorgeous.
0: So that was gonna be kind of hard to pick.
2: I will still give it to uh,
0: Hateful
1: Eight. Rev- A Hateful Eight over Revenant. Yes, I
0: think I think it'll be Hateful Eight unless
1: unless yeah. the Revenant starts sweeping. Like if the Revenant starts sweeping the Oscars, I say the Revenant gets it. But if it if it's not, then I think Hateful Eight will get it.
2: But I will say that I think the Reverend had a bigger challenge to get the shots they got. But I mean, the hateful way, i mean, just some of those scenes, even though they were yeah, there for a, for a couple of seconds, were just phenomenal. You know, especially the where, where the opening credit scene just when when, when he has that, that that what is it that cross and it just zooming into the the carriage pool coming down is just fucking awesome.
1: Yeah, but I, I think the only like the story of like the hate play is better though because it's like he used basically dead technology to shoot this movie. So like I think I think like the hardcore people voting on it are gonna really appreciate that.
2: Yeah, and it's weird because he didn't need, he didn't. We talked about this before. He did not need that technology for this film. No, he didn't. It's Quinn and his big ego. He's like, fuck it, I'm gonna shoot it in seventy, even though it's gonna be in a little shack for the for most of the movie, and that's that. So uh, you know, it's not Ben Hur or you know
0: movies that really needed it so, right and then uh, the last category i want to talk about because this is kind of always the fun category for the Yatsu, which is the visual effects you have ex machina mad max the martian the revenant and star wars
1: um i don't know i don't have a clear favorite here to be honest That's because tough- I, as much as i love star wars there was some cgi in there that i really hated um Mad Max, which I think is interesting because the movie used a lot of all the stunts
0: were practical. Practical.
1: But the 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 CG they used was basically just to erase wires and and like add backdrops and stuff. So it's interesting that that got nominated because the the because all the stuff that's in visual effects that you would like would nominate it for was all practically done. That's why I think that's interesting.
2: Well, I think they, I think, I think it's they either like
0: Martian it. or Star Wars is going to get this.
2: Well, the remnant
0: just for the bear scene alone should get it. I think that's true. No, the bear, scene is yeah, really, really bear, good.
2: The, the bear doesn't look fake, you know, and it just was it fake. I don't even know. Shoot, I don't even know how no, they. It was, it was
1: definitely a fake bear, but it was that. That was a uh, because I remember reading how they did it. Like he was, he was, he was like attached to some sort of thing that was like throwing him around, and then they put the bear in post. But, um, it's. That was man, that was a brutal scene to watch. No, definitely, <laughs> and, and it was Part long. It we did, yeah. <laughs> that was like ten minutes. Long, a little too like, long. You thought like it was done, and he's sitting there suffering, and then a fucking bear comes back. I'm like, god damn it! Why did <laughs> the bear take off? Was
2: there like a cub there or something? What, yeah, there something? was a
1: cub there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The
2: bear takes off, dude, and then he just fucking decides to come back. And I like how Leo follows the rules that they taught us when we were little kids. You stay there you play dead, and it didn't work for him. He still attacked them.
0: Well, remember, he tried to attack him again, like, to get revenge, because he pulled out the knife and he wanted to stab him, and then that's when the bear caught wind and then started mauling him again. Yeah.
2: So, and then even yeah. after he shot
0: the bear, the bear's still going and going, and it's like, fuck. Yeah. And, it took, and then it landed on him, dead. So that was, like, <laughs> that was like the icing on the cake. <laughs> on the cake, bro. But I, honestly, about this category, I feel like if they, this is I the way I feel the Academy thinks. If they want to give something to Star Wars, it's probably going to be this one.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Well, at least we don't have, like, Transformers in there like we have other years. Uh, yeah, you're, you're right about that.
1: Although, to be fair, like, the Transformers, as bad as they are, they they look... I mean, those are impressive effects. Like, I can... I mean, they're... It's, 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 it must have been very difficult to achieve those effects. They're just shitty movies.
2: No, I don't... I, don't, I, I disagree with you. I think the scope of the Autobots and the Decepticons changes throughout the movies, and I don't like that. Like, sometimes they're, like, really, really fucking tall, and then sometimes they're not. Like... You know, and I understand that's hard to do in movies, because you know. But if you're gonna if you're gonna get nominated for special effects, I don't want to have that criticism where it's like Optimus Prime looks like he's so first he looks like he's thirty feet tall, then he looks like he's ten feet tall, and like make up your mind.
1: I gotta be know? honest, I never paid attention to them that that closely, because <laughs> <laughs> like every time I'm watching those movies, I'm just like I I, I just check out, so like I don't. I don't pay attention to that. that and the,
2: the transformations, is just a bunch of gibberish. They go from like being like running human-looking people, and all of a sudden they, you get you get gibberish, and then they're like whatever they turn into. And when you're when I was a little kid, that was part of the fun. You buy your toy. And you transform him into a car or a plane, and then you untransform him, and it's like in the movies they just turn into a ball of nothing, and then they transform. And I'm like, well, what? You don't see the actual mechanism of them transforming.
1: That is a... true. I will get yeah, you because know? in the in the old cartoon when they were in their like transform state, you could tell. Oh, that's where the wheel is. That's where yes, the doors exactly, are. Like exactly, you can't really right. tell that in, in like
0: the new movies. You're right. Yeah, I agree with that.
2: So they shouldn't
0: have gotten nominated, but yet yeah, they did, so. Bro, how could I forget? Okay, I, I was going to end the show now. How could I have forgotten the Golden Raspberry nominees, bro? <laughs> I, we we got to talk about this for a second because, bro, I'm looking at this now for the first time. <laughs> I'm laughing my ass off because freaking worst picture, the nominees are Fantastic Four, Fifty Shades of Grey, Jupiter Ascending, Paul Blart Two, and Pixels. Yeah, that sounds pretty terrible. Pixels <laughs> wasn't that bad.
2: Um, uh, um, Let's see I, I would we, go with Paul too Just because they keep On making those Fucking movies Oh god
0: You have freaking uh, Worst actor You have Johnny Depp In Mordecai You have Jamie Dorn In Fifty Shades of Grey Kevin James In Paul Blart Adam Sandler In The Cobbler And Pixels And Channing, Ta- <laughs> I, I like and how, Channing Tatum In Jupiter Ascent I like
2: how the Razzies Have absolutely no rules It just it, Yeah they, <laughs> That's it, the it, point I think like, yeah.
1: Go ahead. It's funny because the Razzies are weird because, first of all, real quick, the right now I think this is probably the only time this has ever happened, but there is a director that is nominated this year for Best Director in, in the Academy Awards and nominated for Worst Director in the Razzies. Do you know who it is? Uh, No. Adam McKay? <laughs> no, it's Tom McCarthy for Spotlight and uh, The Cobbler. <laughs> he directed The car oh, oh, shit. <laughs> so he, he directed one of the best films of the year and the worst film of the year. I think that's pretty funny. Wow, bro. Well,
2: The Ridiculous Six will be there in The Razzie's next year, I guarantee you.
0: Oh, God. Now, they have The Redeemer, which I always like because, you know, it takes, like, someone who's won previous Razzie's, and, like, this is the year that they kind of, like, broke out of that. So you have Elizabeth Banks, says, From Razzie-winning director of Movie 43 to directing the 2015 hit Pitch Perfect 2, M. like Shyamalan from perennial Razzie nominee to winner, to directing the 2015 horror hit *The Visit*. Will Will Smith from for following up Razzie wins for *After Earth* to starring in *Concussion* and *Sliced Alone* for all-time Razzie champ to 2015 award contender for *Creed*. So, did you guys yes, see *The that
2: Visit*? Was interesting. I saw it, and, and that stupid little
1: white kid, man, don't get me started. That <laughs> stupid little. <laughs> oh, that that you know, the, the, it was okay. Like it was certainly stupid. like. He certainly – I don't know if he's completely redeemed himself, but he's, he's, he's on a, a better track upwards anyway. Um, it was fine. It was pretty forgettable overall. But well, it had some good scares. I'll give him that. Yeah, but that – like the twist – I don't know if you want to call it a twist because you always knew that there was something wrong, right? The the twist was like, okay, I can that's all right. I can deal with that. Like whatever she says, like I don't know if – have you seen it, Mark? Or? I haven't seen it yet. All right. I'm not going to give it away. But whatever like – Whenever the 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 scary part is revealed, I, I, I guess it's a twist. When you're like, that's actually kind of like a oh, that's that's cool. I like that. Um, but that you're right, that fucking kid. Uh, I, I, I don't think I've ever hated an on-screen kid as much as I hated that kid. Like yeah, I yeah. I really wanted. To, every time he w- started with his rap, I'm like, oh my god. <laughs> and you're, then no, you're and never then, played. To top it <laughs> to top it
2: off. The end credits, bro. That's all I'll say. Just to, just oh to, torture,
1: just to torture us a little more. Oh, the end credits. Now, but, but it was okay. It wasn't a bad movie.
2: This is not spoiling anything because I, I want Mark to enjoy it. But without without spoiling it, I feel like M. Night Shyamalan and Ding Dong did it on purpose. He built up all this heel heat on this fucking kid just for that fucking shit diaper. Oh, that he that gets was, yeah. Because I,
1: <laughs> I, mean, that
2: that I popped for that part. But other than that, that was yeah. Was,
1: good. That was pretty good.
2: So, um,. <laughs>
0: No, it was, I
1: love.
2: No,
0: okay. I was okay. was
2: okay movie. Yeah, I
1: funny.
0: love he. I love here that uh, Eddie Redmayne is nominated for Jupiter Ascending for worst supporting actor, but he's also best actor for uh for the Oscars. Oh, so that's kind of funny.
1: He's totally deserving of that award. That that was one of the worst things I've ever seen. Like it was so hammy. Like I can't even like. It was just so. It was the hammiest thing I've ever seen.
0: It was so bad. Wow, but that that's pretty much the uh, the Razzies. I don't the Razzies, want to go into all of them. The Razzies kind of but...
1: bullshit, though, because if you look, there's if you look at the history of it, there are like good movies that have been nominated for Razzies. Like The Thing was nominated for for Razzie back in the day. Scarface was nominated for Razzie. Yeah, like, I know like, about the, that. Yeah, there are times <laughs> where they're like, we're like in the moment, like they, you know, like if a film is kind of different or weird, like they nominated for a bad movie. But then like twenty years later, it's like this respected movie that everyone likes. So it's I don't know. They yeah. they can they can get it wrong sometimes.
2: Now M Night, he's gonna bring back Tales from the Crypt without the Creep Keeper, which I don't know how the fuck he's gonna do, but that's bullshit if you ask me.
1: That is that's kind so. of stupid. So um
2: anyway, that's pretty much it.
0: Yeah, it's pretty much twenty fifteen in a nutshell though. So um 2016 is
2: well, we... looking pretty good. I mean I'm looking forward to a, a Suicide Club. Um there's a couple movies I'm looking forward to.
0: Yeah, it's that, that, looking to be a pretty well, good suicide year. Suicide Squad, I should say. Suicide Squad, I was going to say. Yeah. But um, if you guys want, uh, I don't know if you guys would be up for it, but after I do the uh, marathon, we can do a show right before the Oscars, kind of just kind of seeing if our list kind of stuck and maybe throwing in some new movies that we just thought of. But I mean, it's up to you guys. I'll be on like no sleep, but I'll be down for it. <laughs> I've gone with no, without any sleep before to do these shows. Well, I'm always down to do a show, so like just like yeah, me know. I mean, too. Just uh,
2: you know, cause by that by then we would have seen two months worth of movies, for you know, cause cause even this month I've seen a couple good ones, um, that that, that were that are worth talking about. So I'll talk about those if we do that show.
0: Yeah, definitely, yeah. Um, uh, but anyway, as far as this show, that's gonna wrap it up for Force respective Episode 69. Any questions, comments, like just send an email to fpmpodcast at gmail.com. Just put in the subject line Force Perspective or FP. Um, I don't know if you guys have anything to add to the show, like any plugs or anything you want to do, but um, other than that, we're ready to get out of here.
1: Yeah, no, I, I, my my uh, my uh, New Year's resolution this year was to write more uh, articles and do more reviews. Uh, you can see how well I've stuck to that. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, but I am gonna make a better effort this year to try and do do more content. I just haven't had a chance to yet.
0: Yeah, that uh that uh, special idea you had, kind of, I want kind of want to get started on that too. Yes, I would so. like to, I would like to get started on that. <laughs> let's let's not
1: TNA tease the people too much. <laughs>
0: yeah, there, there you go. But um, I know Draven, the K-Fabulous Utrecht Brothers, just came back with the Royal Rumble review. That was a great show. Yeah. We did so cool. hopefully you're – I think the next thing you're doing is SummerSlam O2.
2: Yes, we're doing SummerSlam O2. And one of the things we're going to do this year is that we're going to have a revolving chair, which means we're going to have guests coming on. And the guests are going to get to pick the show that they want us to review. Like you've already been on, Mark. Uh, Modolfo, yeah. maybe we'll get you on. Uh, and and you know you pick a show and we'll review it and we'll talk about it. The wackier the show, the wackier we get. The more serious the show, the more serious we get. It's just the, the show dictates our, our, our mood for the for the podcast. So um you know that's that's K Fabulous Lucha Brothers. So the wackier the better. Pretty much, or else we'll find something wacky. You know we'll find yeah. something because nowadays uh I kind of use the show as my like my just my excuse to get really drunk because I don't I don't really drink anymore. So that's when I really, like, we do it on the weekends, like on a Friday night or a Saturday night. And I just, you know, get a get a bottle of liquor, like a six-pack, and I just have a good time. And, you know, it, it's fun. It's, it's a fun wrestling show. And, you know, we try to make it more towards the people from our generation. You know, we get a lot of good feedback. The people really like it. So we brought it back.
0: Right. Yeah. I, I mean, the Royal Rumble show was really good, too. And I actually did Google that Montejo beer that you were sipping. During that show, so because I have never seen it around here, so I'm wondering how I could get oh, it. Oh, okay, cool, yeah, yeah. Wait, so, what, what's the beer? I'm interested
1: now. What's the beer? Montejo Mexican beer. Yeah, some
0: Mexican beer.
1: Oh, I never yeah. heard of that. And I like a big. You know, big t- <laughs> you, you, should, you, know what you should have is some good Dominican beer is Presidente.
2: Okay, the beer because you know there's there, there's the brandy. You don't want I don't want to drink brandy because I was no no yeah,
1: right Pre- <laughs> Presidente beer if you can find it you know obviously it's an import but it's good Dominican beer.
2: Okay, cool, yeah. I remember uh, there's been I t- hasn't happened recently, but there's been times where I really get hammered towards the end of the podcast, and it just it, it's makes that pers-
0: WrestleMania 29 show is infamous for that, bro. Like it, I, I listened to that intently because I was there because I wanted to hear you guys like thoughts on it, and I love how like you defend the main event and then like 20 minutes later you go back to shitting on. It's <laughs> it like it was amazing. <laughs> yeah, that
1: main event sucked. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah it so, uh, uh, I did. So I I would be happy what?
1: to join you if you if you extend the invitation, I would join you guys. Yeah,
2: definitely, definitely. Uh, we'll we'll pick a show from Chicago or something, you know, one that you've been to or whatever, and we'll have a good time with it. Extreme Rules 2012.
1: I was there at that one. Yeah. It seems, that was a... the theme. about
2: Chicago is. It seems like they get a show a month. You guys get a lot of live. We get, we get
1: one pay per view a year, and we usually get three
2: RAWs a year. And then the Smackdowns is taped in. See, like a nerd like myself would know this, because I know I know all their loops. Okay, so you got Chicago, and then you got. Uh, they usually go to Green Bay for Smackdown. Every yeah, single they loop. usually do
1: Green Bay. Yeah. yeah. So. Because Green Bay's pretty close.
2: Yeah, it's like two hours from you, right?
1: Yeah, but yeah, we get about three Raws, one pay per view, and like two house shows, more or less.
0: You guys get a lot of love, man.
1: Yeah, because the crowds. Well, weird. that's an A crowd, bro. It's, it's, it, the crowds are good, and you know if you're ever in, if you're ever here during a show, like the state Arena is kind of a dump. But what the what's great about it? Not only is the it, it, like do the fans make it make the shows fun, even if the show sucks. Um, but there's not there's literally not a bad seat in the arena. Like you can I was been in that arena literally literally in the last row and had a perfect view of the ring.
2: Cool, yeah, yeah, because I was that's where I stood uh, when I was there in July. I stood uh, in Rosemont, right, right behind the yep. Allstate Arena.
1: Yeah, so, Rosemont.
2: Um, and what about the, the the United Center? Is that is that that because they never go there for some reason? They never
1: go there. I think I think it's just too expensive to run there. I think.
2: And then the UIC Pavilion was WCW back in the day. Yeah. That, but that's kind of a dump, I imagine. So they're, no, they're never gonna go there. <laughs> Where does Ring of Honor run there?
1: Oh, Ring of Honor runs in the suburbs, in a, in, a, in a dumpy little place called the it's a suburb, it's called Chicago Ridge and it's a, uh, the place is called the Frontier Fieldhouse. It's basically a high school gym.
2: <laughs> okay, well that's not surprising. <laughs> that's a nice way to put it. Yeah. Alright, so that's pretty much it and that, that's yes. pretty much it for me as far as the plugs and all that.
0: Alright guys, so, I guess we can uh, get out of here now, so on behalf of myself, Draven and his all forms for Step 515 thank you for joining us and until next time We are out of here.